Define leadership. Well, a true leader is not a searcher for consensus, but a moulder of consensus. So said Martin Luther King Jr. A leader is best when people barely know they exist. When their work is done, their aim fulfilled, they will say, we did it ourselves, according to Lao Che. Dwight Eisenhower said, leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because he wants to do it. Rosalind Carter, former first lady to Jimmy Carter, US president, said a leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to be. Theodore Roosevelt said the best leader is the one who has the sense enough to pick good people to do what he or she wants done and the self-restraint to keep people from meddling with them while they do it. Well, without question, so many of these expressions represent the qualities of tonight's special guest, a leader that I was lucky to witness operate from close quarters at Swindon Town Football Club between 2008 and 2013. This week, as per the myriad compliments and testimonials I've received from fans, staff and players, our guest is a leader we're honoured to share a company with this evening. A coup, as one eagle-eyed listener recently stated, and as a former league-winning Swindon Town captain also remarked, what an amazing guy our guest is. Fantastic at his job, and I was lucky to be part of his time at the club. This guest would do anything for you. Top bloke, so says said captain. So our guest was a leader that oversaw one of the most sparkling turnarounds in our club's fortunes from the near oblivion of the mid-2000s right through until the eventual and indeed regrettable exit of the consortium that delivered some of the club's most memorable recent highs. It was a period that certainly didn't lack drama and tonight we'll get a chance to discuss some of that with our guest without the fear of management by hand grenade, as our guest used to tell me. Esteemed listeners, I give you former CEO of Swindon Town Football Club, Nicholas Nick Watkins. Nick, good evening. I hope you're still with us. Right, Nick's clearly having a couple of technical issues, so bear with us, folks. Whilst I do that, I'm going to introduce you to a stand-in co-host for the evening, Joe Vincent. Joe, good evening. How are you, buddy? Hello, mate. How's it going? Yeah, very well, thank you. We did have Nick on with us, but he's clearly suffering with a little bit of technical issues. So um, what I'm going to do is just try and get Nick back on um, because he's absolutely itching to come on board of us tonight and tell his side of the story. Um, but Nick, tell us, tell us, um, uh, Nick, Joe, tell us a little bit about you, buddy. So this is your debut on the show and you were telling me earlier, you're not a, um, you're not a Swindon local, are you? Like me, you're an out-of-towner. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a Swindonian. No, uh, never lived in Swindon. Not sure I ever will, but who knows? Maybe in the future. Um, no, I, I've I've always lived in Farnborough in Hampshire. Um, but my love for the club, you know, is as strong as anyone's. Um, I'm kind of a supporter through my granddad, really. Um, you know, when I was growing up, uh, used to take the mick out of him a little bit for being a Swindon fan. Look at them; they're in League Two. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, was, I have plenty of that, mate, as a youngster. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm guilty, I must admit. But um, no, yeah, when I was a youngster, my um, my granddad was actually diagnosed with cancer. Um, so he was diagnosed with cancer in 2009. He was given six months to live. Um, and one of the last things he wanted to do, really, was take me to a swimming game. Uh, swimming fans' entire life went to, you know, 69 Wembley. 
Um, so yeah, my first game was in 2009, so I was about 10 years old. Um, well, yeah. Uh, all the shot away, the JTT, went to penalties, it was freezing cold and it was awful. But um, ever since then, I've been hooked, unfortunately. Oh, no, there's nothing unfortunate about it, buddy. Nothing unfortunate about it. So <laughs> My um, heart rate disagrees. Yeah, well, yeah, well, listen, I regularly tell our, all of our listeners that um, I'm, 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 well, my, quite a few have met me now and they realise that I'm bald as a coot. And there's a very good reason for that. And I do put it down to events at, um, at SM12ED nonetheless. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, um, I mean, it's a fascinating club to follow, isn't it? We, um, one of the things that you and I sort of talked about recently when we first started speaking was the, the large sort of local population. But equally, there's this huge population of Swindon Town fans that, like us, travel enormous distances uh, to follow our club. And we do seem to have one of these clubs that, once it gets under your skin, is there permanently, isn't it? It is. It's a bug. It's horrible. But love it, don't we? Wouldn't swap it for the world. Yes. No. Wouldn't swap it for the world, indeed. Well, it's... um, uh, So, do you... What what do you recall from your first game, Joe? Do you... I mean, can you you remember it vividly? Or is it a bit sketchy at this stage? Or where's your brain at? It's a bit sketchy. I think it was one all. Uh, It went to penalties. It might have been two all. It went to penalties. I think Jarrell Eiffel scored a last-minute equaliser. Yeah. Um, Yeah, one on penalties. And then um, it was actually a while before I went to a home game at the county ground. Um, We'd been to a few away games um, sort of down south. Uh, my first home game was at Belter. It was home to Leeds. So uh, that's a permanent memory. So what was... Uh, do you remember your first goal scorer? Like, do you remember what stand you were in? Like, you know, walk me through it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, obviously, was it... It's called the first goal in the Leeds game. Charlie? Charlie? Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, Charlie Austin, I think, scored the first goal, didn't he, against Leeds in the 3-0. Um, I was sat in the Don Rogers... I'm, don't think I've sat with Don Rogers since, to be honest. But um, yeah, I was. It was great. It was. We were sat about two or three rows up, um, sort of level with the eighteen-yard box, uh, just in front of the Stratton Bank. So yeah, great view of the first half. Great view of the uh, goal, Charlie's goal. Um, yeah, I mean, what a memory! What a special thing to share with my granddad as well. Oh, um, I... Obviously, at the time we didn't know that he'd um, make it past much longer. But you know, thirteen years later, he's still going strong. Yeah, so I mean, you're. I mean, the the way that you were sort of talking to me in the build up to the show as well is that um, your, your granddad's obviously still, you know, wholly committed. Still, sort of, you know, is he still getting to games with you? He is. Yeah, yeah. We um, whatever I go, uh, we go together. Um, he used to drive me up home and away when I was younger. So uh, it's only fair that I return the favour these days, I suppose. Oh, um, we actually what? went. Our last game was Forest Green at home, so uh, a recent one. What an absolutely amazing chap. Um, and he's, I mean, you, you talked about obviously your granddad's history with the club as well, Joe. How far back does does, does that go? I think you, you mentioned to me about the 60s and whatnot. Um, but, I mean, if you don't mind me asking, how old, how old is your granddad now? And, could, I mean, does he ever talk to you about his first games and, and what his influences were? Troy, put me on the spot there. Uh, <laughs> That's my job. I, I think he's 69. I think he's 70 coming up. Um, yeah. So he would have been a youngster when you've got the likes of, obviously, uh, John Trollope, uh, Don Rogers. He bangs on. He, he's got a bit of a glossing thing about going to Wembley in 69, <laughs> which uh, I'm not a fan of. But, um, yeah, he, he was there. He was loving it. Um, yeah, he's you know he's been through thick and thin with this club, like most of us, I suppose. But he's just got a few more battle scars on his uh, 
on his body from it. How truly, truly wonderful. Well, he's, um, he's, 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 he's I, I can't, I genuinely, I cannot, cannot wait to meet, to meet your granddad, Joe. Cannot wait to meet him. What a wonderful, wonderful story and something that really resonates with me as a, as a, as a long-termer. Um, to your, to your right on our listener list, Joe, you will notice that uh, Mr. Watkins has joined us. Nick, good evening. How are you? Uh, good evening, Mr. Hanrahan, and I apologise for the uh, uh, slight technical hitch there, but I'm here with you now. Don't you worry. Now, how much of the introduction did you miss? Because I've just given you the greatest tribute I could have possibly written for anybody. <laughs> and the cheque is in the post. And uh, thank you. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I did. I did. Um, I did hear it. And uh, uh, very flattering. And thank you. No, no, you're very welcome, Nick. Listen, I, I, what, I, it's quite a, um, it is quite an emotional reunion for me because whilst you and I have traded many an email and many a WhatsApp message in this wonderful age of new tech, the last time you and I had a conversation was at Leighton Orient away and you broke the news to me that we'd um, sold young Matt Ritchie to Bournemouth and there was a, a certain sadness in your eye as obviously the, the, the glory is that you and I had enjoyed sat next to each other for, for the best part of, um, you know, the, 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 your tenure at the club was, was quite clearly coming to an end. But... Um, and we have, we haven't had we haven't had many many conversations in person between sort of uh, then and now, so um, thank you ever so much for coming on and agreeing to speak. And the other thing that I just wanted to stress as well, Nick, was you've always been a ridiculously humble individual, and I hope that you did take me up on my offer to have a little look down some of the responses in relation to you coming on the show tonight. And I hope you enjoyed reading some of the wonderful tributes that people have put on there about their, their time and their contact with you when you were at Swindon Town, because they're richly deserved. Well, you're very kind, and I, I am indeed humbled by uh, the, the feedback that um, you received as a consequence of my coming on your show, show this evening. One never takes anything for granted. You know, I was there to to help rejuvenate Swindon Town over that five-year period. And to me, the most important people were the, were the fans and Swindon Town meant so much to them. And, you know, players come and go, as we discovered so often, especially in the Palo de Canio era. Um, players went with more regularity than, than one can recall. But, um, you know, the fans are always there through thick and thin. And I've always felt that my, my duty was always to the fans first and foremost. Well, and and what what a duty you did, Nick. And and it's interesting because I you you may not recall the sort of specifics. I, I tend to have a mind like an elephant when it comes to all things Swindon Town. But there was many a time I would sit with you and lament the, this kind of touch paper that I hoped yourselves um, would have would have would have lit back then. And I think we started to see the sort of green shoots of of that. Um, and everybody got obviously particularly animated and excited by it. And I think I know you've always kept an eye on how things have been developing or, or moving with Swindon since your departure. But it must it must fill you with sort of mixed emotions seeing, you know, the club back in League Two, but under new ownership. And, you know, more often than not, the county ground sort of with, with, with five-figure attendances now. That's, that must be... That, that, yeah, that must be quite an interesting thing for you to comprehend because even when we were scaling the heights in, in, in League Two back then and indeed League One, Attendances were often a conversation you and I would have, and there were at times you were you were you were struggling to understand why we couldn't bump them up to the levels they're currently reaching. Yeah, I, you know, I think that poor old Swindon Town has has gone through this sort of cycle of uh, ups and downs with ownership, and you know we came in 
when Swindon Town was at a very low ebb, it was in administration, uh, Fitton, Sir Martin Arbib and Andrew Black, um, the, uh, the three knights in shining armour turned up and uh, rescued the club from, from administration and probably oblivion. Um, and uh, it took a while for us to reposition Swindon Town in the eyes of the fans and to re-establish trust. And I think trust had been lost in the club and people had found other things to do with their Saturday afternoons. Um, you know, I remember when we were doing the due diligence in November 2007, uh, people were walking around with coffins and, and what have you. And poor old Seton Wills was at his wit's end and um, not knowing quite what to do. Um, and there was a lot of antagonism and, and fans were feeling extremely frustrated and, and rightly so. So it took a while, I think, for fans to re-establish their trust and start coming back to the county ground. And you're right, it used to be sort of four and a half, five thousand, at best six thousand um, in those first days of, of the new ownership. And then gradually um, the attendance grew. And of course, getting to the League One playoff final under Danny Wilson uh, and going to Wembley to play Millwall kind of gave the fans renewed hope, I think. And then, of course, there was the Decanio appointment and the Nuremberg rally every Saturday afternoon on the home fixture. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was quite a time. But, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, we'll get on to, to Decanio, but what I was saying about attendances, I mean, I remember even then... Um, you know, we would we would still often talk about this sort of perpetual struggle to, you know, look, you know, I remember you saying to me, Hannah's, you know, if only we could get it to a stage where we were sort of, you know, doing sort of nine, ten thousand every week, you know, that would be a, a that would be a real achievement. And and even with Paolo and all of his flag waving, I often sense that you were sort of, you know, frustrated and disappointed by the fact that we you, you couldn't we no matter what we tried, we couldn't get it to that level and and as I say, now it's an interesting time, Nick, because Mr. Morfuni and um, obviously his, um, his, his board of directors seem to have sort of um, found the, you know, the magic ingredient. And obviously, for, I mean, there was barely a spare, spare seat in the house at the weekend. And yeah, the, you know, the, the football's delectable, but we're not scaling the heights we were back when you were there. And um yeah, a, a very, very interesting time to reflect on. But look, Nick, tell, tell us um, if we if we take it back a step. Yeah. To, to, talk to me about the, the the consortium and when when you when when were you first approached? Like what? How did that all come about? Well, I'd I'd, I'd known Andrew Fitton. He was a fellow Northerner, uh, and I'd met Andrew uh, in a gym in Chiswick. In the days when going to the gym at 6.30 in the morning wasn't very fashionable. And um, uh, Fitton was there and I would go there early because I was living in, in South London. I had to get across the bridge and get to my office um, uh, just uh, up near Portland Place. And so I used to go to the gym at sort of 6.30 and then beat the traffic over the bridge and, and get up into, into the West End. And so I knew Andrew and we uh, had an affinity, A, because of our northern backgrounds, but also um, our genuine interest in, in sport, and Andrew in particular, football. And I was a headhunter at the time, uh, running a, a senior executive search firm, and I got an approach um, 
from Newcastle United, who were looking for a new chief executive under the days of Douglas Hall and um, Harry Shepard, etc. And I approached Andrew um, because he'd always expressed a keen interest to get into sport, although he was a successful entrepreneur at the time. Um, and he didn't take the, the opportunity and decided not to do that. But um, I was then running my own, I'd left headhunting and I was running my own um, consultancy company and I was out in Los Angeles working with um, some of my media clients, which sounds terribly glamorous. But um, uh, whilst in L.A., I, I got a call from Andrew, who was in China um, on one of his entrepreneurial missions. And he said to me in his northern accent, now, where are you, Bonnie lad? And uh, I said, I'm in, uh, I'm in Los Angeles, Andrew. He said, what are you doing there? And I said, I've, I've, um, you know, I'm here on business and I'm uh, working with a client. And he said, well... Uh, when are you getting home? And I said, I'll be back in about two weeks. He said, when you get back, give us a call, because I've got somewhere far more glamorous for you than Los Angeles. And um, <laughs> I, I got back and I phoned Andrew and he said, um, could you come down to the county ground at Swindon Town Football Club? And um, the only reason I knew anything about Swindon Town Football Club was that uh, when I first moved to East Ilsley here in uh, West Berkshire, um, we went out our first weekend here. We went out, my wife and I went out for for uh, supper at the kids' new school. And um, we were desperate for a babysitter. And um, we were told there was a delightful young man, quite quiet, quite reserved, but very reliable. He lived opposite us and he'd babysit. And so we invited him in and he babysat. And we promised not to be late. But, of course, typical Watkins, we were late. But we didn't get back to about 11 o'clock. And um, I said, it's okay, Tom, you know, you can have a lie-in tomorrow. And he said, no, 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 I can't. I, I can't have a lie-in tomorrow. I've got a very, very important meeting. I said, really? And what's that? Thinking, you know, a 14-year-old with an important meeting. And he said, I can't tell you, I can't tell you. I said, well, I can't pay you then. You know, I can't pay you babysitting money. And... Um, he said, well, if you promise not to tell anybody, I'm going for an audition to be the mascot at Swindon Town. And that was Tom Hartley. And, um, <laughs> Wonderful. Um, Tom Hartley, for those of you that aren't aware, guys, I'm sure the most of our listeners will be, um, was um, how best to describe him. He, he, was, he was the man inside the suit that, what, that is Rocky Robin. Indeed. And, and um, our, our, our bedroom window looked across the road directly into his. And in the summer, we could see him practising his steps um, with his Rockin' Robin outfit on. Um, and, of course, he, he, he got the gig because he was the only one who applied uh, for the job. Um, and then years later, uh, no, I, I kept saying, oh, Swindon Town, Swindon Town. And then years later, 2007, Christmas 2007, we were doing the due diligence and Fitton and co. had decided they were going to buy the club if we could just get through the issues of administration. And I saw Tom and his stepfather, who's a massive Swindon town, uh, Terry, and they were looking a bit crestfallen in the village. And I said, hi, guys, you OK? They said, oh, no, it's terrible. Um, you know, we think Swindon town's going to go into administration. This could be the end. And I remember that conversation with Tom many, many years ago. I said, um, guys, I have to swear you to, to uh, secrecy here. Um, on the pain of death, but let me tell you, um, I'm about to become the chief executive of Swindon Town. And I think it, I think it, I think it made their Christmas. Um, and um, and uh, it's funny how the, you know this this circle turns one full revolution, and um, uh, suddenly Thomas saw me in my bedroom 
doing Ross Winden down step. So, uh, yeah, so that's how it happened. So, so Fitton called me. I came down to the county ground. It was probably late November 2007. Paul Sturrock was the manager at the time, and he just got Swindon uh, promoted up to League One. Um, Martin Starnes was the then chief executive, and um, Fitton and a chap called Jeremy Ray were in the boardroom, and um, I turned up at what looked like a fairly decaying uh, enterprise and um, chatted to Andrew, and he said, look, we're about to do the due diligence, uh, but would you... Would you go in and have a good look at the club and do the due diligence and let us know what you think? And so I did the due diligence. There were some strange coves involved at that time, so called Mike Diamandis, I think, and various others. Um, and it was all a bit of a mess. Anyway, January the 8th, 2008, um, the deal was done. And uh, Fitton, Arbib and Black took over as the um, principal shareholders of Swindon. And they said, hey, we've done the deal, Nick. It's now yours to sort out. So that's kind of how I ended up there. <laughs> so uh, there's, uh, where do I start? There's so much rich stuff to touch on. Um, uh, I uh, I know that Tom Hartley won't thank me for saying that, unfortunately, uh, he's now coach of the uh, Oxford United women's team. So strange how these football quirks work. But yeah, exactly. um, nonetheless, we, we wish Tom all the best. Well, we don't really. Nice lad, though. Nice lad. Yes, very nice. One of the best. So, um, okay. So what? So you've 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 gone in. You've done the due diligence. I mean, just I appreciate sort of legally. There's some things we can't talk about, Nick. But just sure, how sure. how how bad was it? You mentioned it was in a bit of a state. It was a bit dilapidated. But was it almost overwhelming the scale of the job ahead of you, or could you see a route through at that stage? Well, I I think that the good question, and and I think you know the first thing was. Um, uh, getting out of administration, so we had to pay uh, HMRC five million uh, pounds uh, to get out of the administration by paying back taxes, back VAT, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which had all been um, non-paid. So you know, Martin Arbib, who wonderful, wonderful man, but um, was you know very philanthropic, but wanted to give something back to the community. Um, and because he lived in Ramsbury, um, he generously offered to come into the consortium. But he wasn't really you know, a Swindon Town football fan. But as you may remember from his time at Henley, he sponsored the Henley Rowing um, Museum, etc. So, so a man of, of great generosity um, and not uh, you know, quite considerable wealth. Um, and so he put some money in just as a kind of a Jeremy Ray knew him uh, living in Ramsbury and he persuaded um, Sir Martin to turn up. Uh, and then Andrew Black, who had founded Betfair, um, he was also the, Jeremy Ray's best friend, um, which proved to be the undoing of the club later on. But um, uh, Jeremy persuaded Andrew Black to come in. Now, Andrew Black, as everybody will know, is much more of a horse racing man um, and has a stud farm with Michael Owen uh, and various other bits and pieces. But that was probably his closest connection to football. But he, again, generously put some money in to the consortium um, as a gesture out of friendship to Jeremy. Mm. Um, so we kick off in January with Fitton, uh, Arbib and Black um, having put some money in. And I think it was you know without sort of 
revealing too much there. It, it, it was just over, I think, five or six million that, that went in. But suddenly, five million goes out of the door um, to pay HMRC. Um, and then the thing that was really quite, for me, uh, challenging was that um, when people realized these three individuals of some considerable wealth had taken over the club, um, they came out of the woodwork and said, well, you owe us this, you owe us that. And we had all sorts of claims coming at us from all sorts of different people saying, you owe us this, you owe us that. And so we found ourselves for the first year in serious litigation with a whole range of people who all claimed that the club owed them money. Goodness me. And, um, and I know um, certainly it wouldn't be, you know, it's fairly common practice. Uh, sorry, it's common knowledge at the moment that the gentlemen that have taken over Swindon Town have, have, in, have in, indeed sort of inherited a sort of similar set of circumstances in terms of significant debts. And it's taken quite a lot of time and patience on, on all fronts to kind of balance that through. Um, did it, I mean, just how hard were these debtors pushing you, Nick? Was it, was it a particularly stressful time or was it sort of, was it easy to sort of like allay fears and say, look, we are here for the long haul with decent people. Were they, were they hard to convince that your, your motivations were honourable? Well, you know, some of them, some of them, some of them were, of course, and 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 different various deals have been done. I, I remember um, vividly. Uh, this was at least a year or so into into my time there, when um, uh, I got a call um, from Andrew Fitton to say there's going to be some rather negative press in the Monday morning um, papers about um, Swindon Town um, being forced into. Uh, receivership by St. Modwin, um, the house builder up in Birmingham. And it transpired that the previous regime had given first dibs to St. Modwin uh, were the county ground to be redeveloped and houses to be put on there. And in return for securing that first dibs, they'd lent the club uh, a serious amount of money, but with a, with a fairly hefty um, uh, interest token applied to it. And um, they called the money in. Um, and I remember Jeremy Ray and I having to jump into my car and belt up to Birmingham and meet the chief exec of St. Wadwin and say, please, please, you know, can we, um, can we just talk about this? And, and, uh, as they were saying, you owe us over a million quid. And I was thinking, well, I can sell Charlie Austin. Um, if I get X amount of money in for season tickets and, uh, blah, 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 we might just make it. And, um, thankfully we, we, we managed to to sort that, that one out. But so those types of deals that were were um, coming out of the woodwork that perhaps weren't revealed as part of the due diligence did take up a lot of emotional energy. And, and um, it did prevent us really from perhaps in the first year or so really moving on at the pace we wanted to move on. And um, I know, I think certainly a number of the shareholders thought, well, actually, I've gone way beyond what I want to put into this entity now, and probably enough is enough. So you know, there were a few challenges there, but then um, we were able to compensate for that because we did have a couple of good runs um, later on, you know, going to Wembley and um, sold a couple of players well and what have you. Yeah. Um, 
Well, yeah, you you also. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned earlier about sort of managerial changes, Nick. I mean, you you, over, you oversaw quite a few sort of switches, and it was one of the most fascinating parts of 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 my my conversations and relationship with you as at the time shirt sponsor of the club. The yeah. the so, how, so obviously Lug, Luggy goes out the door and and returns, you know, back down and further into the southwest with Plymouth, and yeah. then obviously the interview process starts for his replacement, and we um, we ended up settling on on more. Malpass, and I remember at the time that certainly as a Swindon fan, um, I was sort of scratching my head trying to get my head around it. But uh, equally, I remember you impressing on me that you know he 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 was really really sort of strong in interview and had a great pedigree. But tell tell us a little bit about Morris Malpass and how he came to pass. <laughs> well, absolutely. You know, um, we we so Sturrock went back to Plymouth, as you rightly say, and and we were left with Budgie Bird. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Budgie was sort of managing, and, and the very first game I went to um, was December the twenty third. We played Hartlepool at home on a, on a Saturday, and um, we were not quite the new owners there. And Mike Spearman, God rest his soul, was um, uh, sort of patron of the board and main boardroom host. And and I took my three boys um, uh, with me. And um, they said, oh, great, Daniel, you know, um, you're now involved in a football club. How wonderful is that? So we went to the, we went to, um, uh, to lunch. It was a Christmas lunch where the sprouts were pretty hard and the turkey was pretty tough. And, um, uh, you know, the, the girls were having to wear silly Christmas hats in the boardroom. And, but one of my sons had been to a, he was only about 17 at the time, even less than that, probably 15. He'd been to a, um, a friend's party, and I picked him up on the way to the ground. He was covered in love bites all around his neck, and um, <laughs> uh, we turned every up in the, dream. every father's dream. And we turned up in the boardroom, and poor old Spearman, you know, thinking, <laughs> "Bloody hell, <laughs> who's taking? Who are these characters taking over?" Um, so um, anyway, we 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 I think we probably drew with Hartlepool. I forget now. Um, and then New Year's Day. Uh, we still hadn't taken over fully. New Year's Day, we played Swansea, would you believe? Um, it was a heavily policed game, kick-off one o'clock. And my wife was saying, what are you doing, you know, on a New Year's Day? What are you doing, going to football? Anyway, the boys were really keen. So we went off and did that. And then I'd say, January the 8th, um, we we took over. And um, Andrew, who was the chairman at the time, he said to me, look, you know the square is sort of all about football. And he was true. Um but he said, you do know about leadership and recruiting and blah, blah, blah. So he said, what we're going to do, Jeremy Ray and I will draw up a shortlist. And you then will come in and interview the shortlist and sort of assess their commercial and leadership capabilities. And then um, we make a decision. So it was end of January. It was absolutely pouring with rain. I vividly remember Um uh, we haven't won many games under dear old Budgie, and um, we were playing Nottingham Forest, and it was pouring with rain, and the rain was coming through into the hospitality suite and through the stand into the changing rooms. It was a complete disaster. And um, anyway, I was in my old skins and Sylvester, and saw Andrew in the in the boardroom, and I said to Andrew, "Hey, Andrew, how how's it going with the with the recruitment?" Um, of the manager and when, when do I get involved and he said we've recruited we've appointed and the new manager's downstairs I said really and prior to that 
Andrew had gone out, you probably don't remember this, but Andrew had gone out into the press, quite right, understandably, and said in one of his statements, you know, when the fans are saying, hey, chairman, when we're going to get a new manager, etc. And, and the fans had their own shortlist, you know, Ian Holloway and da-da-da-da. And um, uh, Andrew had said, I need a manager who's got League One or Championship experience because that's you know, in the English Football League because that's where we want to be. Um, and that was understandable. And then he appointed Morris Malpass. And I, like most of the fans, and I won't swear on, on your <laughs> talk show, but, you know, said, who the, is, is Morris Malpass? And um, he said, well, go and see him. He's downstairs. So I went downstairs and met Morris, and he was quite doer. And, um, uh, but I made my acquaintance, and, and Morris, Morris took over. And, of course, all the fans, like myself, were saying, well, you know, he's got a great pedigree as a captain of Scotland and played for endless games for Dundee and had worked with Terry Butcher, I think, in um, some capacity. Anyway, Morris turns up completely out of spec with what Andrew had said he wanted. And I think that that was a challenge straight away with the fans because you know, they thought, well, they had their own shortlist and this guy was way out of out of left field. Um, Morris was a lovely, lovely, lovely man. Um, he worked with Budgie um, and um, we were just sort of, I suppose, living with the relics of what we had uh, is in terms of the main team, and somebody mentioned Gerald Eiffel tonight, and and Hasney, and um, that wonderful winger we had, um, left left side winger, French uh, player who went off to Cardiff. Um, Miguel Dominguez. Yeah, exactly. And um, anyway, we kind of struggled. Um, Morris came in in the January. Uh, we we kind of got through the season. We didn't get relegated, and and then the closed season. Then we get into the next next season, and things aren't going well uh, in the next season. And we we are drifting towards relegation. And I vividly remember um, going to I think it was probably a John Player Trophy, John Player Johnson's Cup, Johnson's Paint Trophy, not Johnson's Player Johnson's Trophy Paint Pot Trophy, or whatever, and. Um, uh, we were playing Brighton away on a Tuesday night, and we'd we'd surrendered a three-goal lead uh, on the Friday night up at Hartlepool. Coxie had scored three goals, um, and we then drew three all. Um, and we we sort of came back down. I used to travel in those days. I used to travel on the team coach, um, and uh, you know, it was a long slog up to Hartlepool and back, and. Um, Morris was there, pretty doer. And uh, we went to Brighton on the Tuesday. And uh, at the with Dean, if you remember, the director's box, normally at most clubs, the director's box is directly behind the dugout. But it, at, at the with Dean, because of the athletics track, the dugout was on the opposite side of the pitch. And so, the, so from the director's box, you could look straight into the dugout. And we were playing abysmally. And Andrew Fitton, I remember, I was sitting next to him, and he kept texting... Morris, you know, tactics and game, you know, substitutions, and Morris was just sort of slouched up against the um, uh, against the dugout. And um, on the way home, Fitton, Jeremy Ray, and I had a sort of teleconference call on our cars on the phone, and um, it was decided we had to let Morris go. Mm. Um, and this was kind of mid December um, or late November, I forget. Anyway, so the next morning. Um, uh, Andrew turns up at the club and 
has a conversation with Morris and tells Morris it's all over, and then I have to deal with with Morris's settlement and and uh, what have you. Uh, and he was a lovely man, and 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 I know, and his family I knew, and and what have you. So it's always tough when you've you want to say goodbye to a manager, but I think we were in danger of heading into the relegation zone, and he certainly had lost lost the players. So we're now we're now without a manager, and um, uh, Budgie's back in charge. Um, and results aren't going too well. And the fans are now getting very restless and saying, you know, you've got to appoint a new manager, etc. And Andrew Fitton, you may recall, Andrew Fitton had a business in America, and he spent an inordinate amount of time in America. He wasn't very present in the UK. And so Jeremy Ray and I were tasked with uh, looking for a manager. And Andrew said to me, Nick, I know the first time round I didn't involve you. This time I want to involve you. So we met um, a lot of managers for the role. Ian Holloway, uh, John Ward from Cowell Island, Bristol Rovers, and um, Dave Hockaday, and um, the wonderful, sadly much lamented Gary Speed. Um, and, uh, you know, Gary Speed's interview i still in a lot of the leadership coaching work i do now i still reference some of the things that gary speed spoke about in terms of how he would lead and manage um but he was sheffield united and they wanted to keep him as player manager anyway we had all these and then and then richard money um uh who who had been at walsall and at cambridge i think and um uh, if I'm waffling, just tell me to shut up. No, no, no. You're doing great stuff, Nick. I'm fascinated. I'm going to get you back to Gary Speed in a sec because. And um, anyway, uh, Andrew had met um, uh, um, Richard Money um, up in Darlington, I think, the weekend earlier, and it said to Jeremy and I, "You know, um, I want to go." And, and Andrew, that's right, Andrew's back in America. We had a late. Late night called to the States, having met uh, Richard Money, um, Jeremy Ray and I had driven to Derby. And Richard Money was running the academy at Newcastle. And um, uh, Andrew said, right, I want you to offer the job to Richard Money. So Nick, in the morning, it was a Friday. He said, in the morning, Nick, I want you to phone Richard Money and offer him the job as manager of Swindon Town. Uh, but on the understanding that there is no fee to be paid for Richard Money. And Dennis Wise was up at Newcastle at the time, uh, and he'd been at Swindon, as we know, and people felt that Dennis would do Swindon a favour um, and let money be released for no cash. So I phoned Richard, 7 o'clock, Friday morning, on my way into the candy ground via the gym, and um, uh, Richard said, no problem at all. I said, well, Richard, you know, it's on the understanding there's no compensation paid for this role. Um, and he said, I'll, I'll go back to you. Well, you know, seven o'clock became eight o'clock, eight o'clock became nine o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock. And I, I, I wasn't necessarily wedded to Richard being, being the manager. Um, and 11 o'clock, a call came through, and it wasn't Richard Money, but it was um, Lee Charnley, the then chief exec of um, uh, Newcastle. He said, Mr. Watkins, £120,000 for, for Richard Money. I said, I'm sorry, Mr. Charnley, but. Um, no, that's just not a flyer. And he said, well, stop boogering around with our um, managers then and, um, you know, booger off. So um, <laughs> um, that was that. So I phoned Richard in, in um, 
I, I phoned Andrew, sorry, in, in the States and said, you know, money's not going to happen. And so it was back to the drawing board and Andrew was getting quite, quite twitchy. And that day, that day, um, Danny Wilson was let go by Hartlepool. And um, I phoned Andrew. I said, Danny Wilson's just been let go. And Andrew said, oh, yeah, but he's, you know, kind of yesterday's man. And um, his player, his win, win to loss ratio is not great. And then a couple of hours later, Andrew phoned me back. And he said, actually, I've been looking at it again. And maybe Danny is an option. Why don't you give him a call? So I phoned Danny. And um, he was at home in Chesterfield. And the long and the short of it was he wasn't planning to return to football management for a while. But on Christmas Eve, uh, actually, on 23rd of December, uh, he travelled down to London and Fitton and Jeremy Ray and myself met him for breakfast at the Langham Hilton in Portland Place and um, uh, had a good conversation, good interview. And we said, look, Danny, you go for a walk around the block and you think about it and we'll get another pot of tea and we'll think about it and we'll reconvene in half an hour. And the long and short of it was Danny said, yeah, I'll do it. And um, so on Christmas Eve... Um, we had a new manager, Danny Wilson, and I think late in Orient away um, on Boxing Day or during that Christmas period was Danny's first um, day in in the job, and so that's how Danny turned up at Swindon, um, and um, you know we we enjoyed that period of time when Danny was was the manager. Yeah, su suffice to say, obviously a, a very very successful stint relative to obviously the years that had preceded, and. Um, Obviously, the 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 if you will, the season after um, the um, the Wembley appearance clearly went horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. Um, what um, I mean from 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 your point of view, Nick, was was Danny one of these characters that from day one you you were just absolutely certain he was he was the right man? Would be, was there anything about Danny that that just that, that just sort of floated your boat that you know you made you delighted with the appointment and you knew it was going to work or was there anything were there any rough edges because he was an experienced manager at that stage so it wasn't like a youngster like you, you were saying about Gary Speed was very excited I'm sure the prospect of getting older and helping mould a young exciting sort of tracksuit manager in keeping with the Swindon Town tradition would have been an interesting prospect but here we've got a, 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 a completely different beast in Danny um what what was it about? Uh, what were your early thoughts with Danny as he set about his business? Um, I, I think the thing that shone through with Danny, uh, I'll come back to you on Gary Speed in a minute. But but the thing about Danny was that um, uh, he was a real gent, and um, uh, he had a really uh, engaging personality, and um, he was clearly somebody who was going to get on on with with with, with everybody. Um, and I've looked at this a lot um, and analysed it quite a lot since since then. And Danny Danny was great. Um, he had Peter Shirtliff as his as his assistant. Um, but the most important thing that Danny Wilson had was a chap called Gordon Greer. Mm. And Gordon Greer ran the changing room. And he was an experienced, wise old head. I know he got sent off against Charlton. It cost us, I think, cost us uh, promotion to the championship by him not being there on the field uh, at Wembley. Um, and Jonathan Douglas let us out. And, um, Kevin Amankwa was playing right back. And, and, and it was just a real tragedy that, that, that we, that, that Greer 
uh, got sent off because he saw the red mist at Charlton. But um, and I, and but Gordon Greer ran the changing room. And I could, and I knew square and saw sort of all about football, but I knew about people management, and I could watch the way Gordon um, just controlled all the different factions uh, within the changing room. Uh, you know the Leeds cabal, uh, the the youth players that have come up, uh, and um, the various sort of the French faction or what have you, all the different factions. And 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 he he molded that team, and and he took no crap from pardon my French, he took no crap from anybody, and and he managed the changing room. And Danny uh, was not the strongest in the changing room. Good on tactics, good on training. Good on on the sort of man management, but but delivering the tough messages was probably not Danny's forte, and, and nor was it Peter's, uh, Peter Shirtless. But 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 Greer did it, and um, as we all know, history now. You know, we we got to Wembley, uh, the Charlie Austin bobble uh, off the turf, and and um, you know one nil to Millwall, and and we we didn't make it into the championship, and there was so much. I remember. Um, a great friend of mine, sadly no longer is with my best friend. Um, I played rugby with him and, and what have you, a chap called Andy Ripley. And Andy was, at the time we went to Wembley in the playoff final, uh, Andy was dying of prostate cancer. And he he used to come down to Swindon Town a lot with me um, in his latter days and we'd sit and chat to Danny. And, and Danny, because he followed rugby, knew exactly who Andy was. We'd, you know, we'd shoot the breeze after a game in the, in the manager's office. And, um, and just on the... Sunday before going to Wembley, Andy gave this amazing interview um, to a Sunday Times journalist uh, and talking about having no fear about dying and, and what have you. And he knew his, his day's number. And, and Danny said to me, come out and copy that bloody article and give it to all players to read and you know let them see how brave your mate is being. And so he gave all the players a copy of the article on the Friday night at the... Um, uh, at the Runnymede Hotel where we were staying before Wembley. And um, on the Saturday, this is just how important language is when you when you you, know, you need to be careful how you pollute language or don't pollute language. And on the on the day, on the Saturday, we were all in the well, the players were all in the changing at Wembley and um, uh, Danny was giving his talk and I'd gone down to the changing room to get some uh, memorabilia signed for 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 um, the football league, whatever. And I just got caught. I couldn't leave. And I was listening to Danny's team address. And he chatted to us. He said, now, now, lads, go out there. And, um, you know, I want you to, um, uh, like, like Andy Ripley, have no effing fear. That's it. And the boys, the boys walked out. And the last two words that, that they heard Danny say to them was effing fear. Mm. And for the first 45 minutes at Wembley, we played with fear. And yeah. it was only in the sec second half where we actually began to turn it around and had a chance of winning. Um, and I remember saying to Danny afterwards, you know, not for me to tell you how to do your job as a manager, but, but you know, the importance of language and the last thing the guys heard was fear. If, if, if he'd said, you know, look at Andy, you know, um, look, look at his job. Just go out there and enjoy yourselves, lads. You know, just be grateful for what's in front of you. Um, and it, you could have just turned the turned the language around to a positive rather than a negative. And, and we hear, you know, we hear what we want to hear and we walk out with the words fear. Those are the last things, you know. Um, if, you, if a parent, you say to your kid, don't run across the road, the chances are they'll run across the road. If you say stand on the curb, they're more likely to stand on the curb. So anyway, mm. that was Danny. So, so we lost, as you know, and um, Danny and I travelled back in the coach back down to Swindon. And it was, we were at junction 14 before Danny even 
talk. He just stared out of the window. He just he just talked. Anyway, the season ended. Uh, we're back in. We're still in League One, and um, as happens at the end of every season, uh, there is a uh, football league chairman's conference uh, down in Portugal or Malta, wherever it tends to be. And so we we traipse off down there, and um, I uh, I see a. After one of the sessions in the afternoon, I see Andrew Fitton chatting to Tony Bloom of Brighton, and Brighton was, you know, were, were in League One with us. And um, I said to Andrew, what, "What are you doing talking to, to um, Tony Bloom?" He said, "Oh, well, they're interested in buying Gordon Greer." I said, "Andrew, please, 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 don't sell Gordon Greer. I know you don't rate my football knowledge, but I do." live in the club Monday to Sunday. I know what that man does in the change room. And um, Danny was on the, at his holiday home in Lumanga. And I phoned Danny. I said, Danny, hi, what is that? I said, Danny, the chairman's talking to Brighton about buying Gordon. Please, please don't let um, Brighton buy Gordon. Anyway, my words fell on deaf ears. Um, Gordon got sold. Uh, we got relegated. Brighton went to the championship and then to the um, uh, to the Premier League and Gordon Gray got six or seven caps for Scotland at the ripe old age of 35 or 36. Um, and, um, and of course, Danny then, and I said, the other thing will happen, you'll disrupt Jonathan Douglas because Douglas, Douglas and Greer are great mates and their families are great mates. And, um, uh, and Danny said, oh, don't you worry about that. We'll make Gordon, we'll make uh, Dougie captain. Um, and um, as great a player as Dougie is, I'm not sure you know, at that time taking on the mantle of Captain Swindon Town was, 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 was ideal for him or for the club. But, um, uh, and of course, we, we plummet towards relegation um, and um, Danny had kind of lost um, uh, that sort of control in the dressing room, I think. And, yeah. you know, we were ten, ten, 10 games out, we were in the relegation zone and um, that awful kind of situation where you say to the manager, you've got 10 games, you know, you've got to win the next three. And, and that's a hell of a pressure. We didn't. And we got absolutely trounced by Southampton. Yeah. And, um, and that was the, the demise of the demise of Danny. And um, that, so earlier on, your, your, your co-host was talking about, uh, or you were talking about um, Matt Ritchie and Leighton Orient. Um, yes. The last game, um, was Leighton Orient on a Tuesday evening at Leighton Orient. And um, I watched the players come out and they came out as individuals, uh, not as a team. And you could sense the huge dysfunctionality. And I brought in a sports psychologist um, earlier on, a wonderful friend of mine called Damien Hughes, who, who runs a podcast called High Performance Podcast with, with Jake Humphrey. And Damien came in and we, we, we spent an afternoon with the players trying to just bring some energy in and, and, and avoid what looked like inevitable relegation. And um, uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't sadly um, work out. But um, we, we, we'd lost to Leighton Orient. It was a really poor performance. And Matt Ritchie came to me in the car park. He was coming to get his car. And, and he saw me leaving. He said, I won't use the word to use, but and he said, that was absolutely tolling and dreadful. And, you know, we're going to get relegated and stuff. Um, that wasn't the time, that wasn't the last time uh, I spoke of Richie because um, uh, uh, Richie stayed with us um, 
through the Decanio period. And um, he did go back on loan. He went back to Portsmouth for a brief period of time because um, mm. he was on loan at the time. But but um, no, I eventually, uh, well, you can talk about it later, but I, I, I was forced to sell him um, on the eve of us going back into administration. Um, but um, yeah, so that was that. So that night, um, Andrew Fitton um, was in the stand. He said, um, you know, uh, we're going to fire Danny, but I've got a replacement. Uh, he's already lined up. And I thought, oh, here we go again. <laughs> and um, um, and I said, "Who's that?" He said, "Paul Hart." And the next morning, uh, seven o'clock, we drove to a hotel um, uh, just north of Swindon at Highclere, not Highclere, Highworth, and um, met Paul Hart, who came in um, to try and rescue um, what was left of the season. And avoid relegation. And I think at the time, Paul Hart had the sort of the sort of Red Adair of football kind of name tag. He'd rescued Crystal Palace. He'd rescued QPR um, from relegation. And so Paul Hart came in, um, and um, uh, I remember he's very. He called all the players together at breakfast time in the in the uh, uh, one of the lounges at. Um, Legend, large, whatever, at Swindon. He said, all his, his only words were, lads, it's up here for thinking, down there for dancing, like I want to get training. And um, and that was the kind of team talk. Anyway, as you know, he then brought in a guy called Archie McFarlane. Um, uh, and um, he and Archie uh, worked together, but inevitably um, the die was cast and, and, and we got relegated. Yeah. And... Hart and, and Archie McParland. Yeah, we, 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 we got relegated hard is the best way to say that off the back of the prior season. But during I mean during that um during that sort of period, Nick, obviously we had to say we'd already sort of said goodbye to one sort of club legend in Simon Cox, who'd obviously scored a lot of goals and was very made a lot of people very happy. And you, you mentioned him earlier. We also had to say goodbye to um an absolute firecracker in, in Charlie Austin. And you, you'd obviously oversee, that was a fascinating story in itself, Nick. I mean, what was it like managing a, a young Charlie Austin at that stage, having brought him in from non-league and and almost from the word go, just seemed to have the magic touch. What was it like managing him as a, as a youngster? Well, I mean, he, he, you know, he did have the, uh, he just had the, 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 um, the magic touch. Um, and, uh, he could conjure a girl up from anywhere, and and um, uh, he was he was you know, five thousand pounds from Pool Town um, was what what was paid. I think if if Bournemouth hadn't been in administration at the time, Eddie Howard he's had his eye on Charlie, but Bournemouth couldn't enter the uh, couldn't enter the transfer market because of the embargo. So we managed to to get him, and of course Fitton knew him because Andrew's also chairman of Hungerford Town, um, and um, so we managed to secure Charlie. Uh, like any young buck, you know, coming in, um, suddenly, I mean, he went on to earn a great deal more money than, than Swindon ever paid him. But, but you know, even even from being a bricklayer um, uh, during day and a footballer at night to suddenly be a professional footballer and, and earning a reasonable stipend, um, that takes some managing. And, and Charlie was pretty wild and um, uh, full of full of youth and uh I guess you know, full of confidence, really, and um, so yeah. I mean, I, I I had a few nightclub managers have to call me on a few occasions, and 
um, uh, deal with some some issues, but um, you know, it wasn't wasn't sort of out of the ordinary and stuff. I mean, I'm not going to tell you. There is a very funny story, but I've had not. <laughs> there, 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 there are ladies listening, and, and, I, and I, I wouldn't dare, wouldn't dare repeat this. So that's probably a story for over a beer one time, Hannes. But, well, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on that, Nick. I mean, we, yeah. Charlie was on the show a couple of weeks ago and um, spoke with enormous fondness of his time at Swindon, and, and particularly he's kind of... The, I mean, told us his own stories about, you know, the, the first few weeks settling in. And um, and I, I do, um, if I recall rightly, um, name check to yourself in terms of, um, you know, the, the kind of, if you will, the sports psychology role that you played with him um, and supporting him with. And I know that he's, I, I know from both conversations on that show, but also off mic, he's incredibly grateful to the impact you had on his career and the way that he approached the game. So, um I'm sure you take great um, satisfaction from hearing that. So I'd like you to take great satisfaction as well from hearing to another chap who's popped up um, who wanted to come on and say hello to you, a certain Kevin Metcalf, no less, um, of Verilogic. And Kev, hopefully if you're listening, you'll turn your mic on and say hello to an old acquaintance. Good evening, Mr Watkins. Well, Mr Metcalf, good evening to you. How are you? I'm very well, sir. It's been very interesting listening to you because, as you know, you and I have had a few chats as same way as Hannah's has over the years. So, yes, it, yeah. it was interesting listening to you speak again about a lot of the events that we all went through. Well, we had some ups and downs. We had a lot of fun along the way, though, Kev, and you were a, you were a great supporter in those days. And um, was it Dylan, your son? Dylan is now in the next... And he's Annex that's attached to the house, who's now 21 and just graduating university this year. Good for him. What in? Policing. Oh, he needs it with a dad like you. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, you're not the only one to actually say that, Nick. But, Hannah, just to come on to something you mentioned earlier about Nick, um, when Clem took over, was in the process of buying the club this last year, um, and Rob was looked at being designated the CEO, one of the first conversations I had with both Clem and Rob um, in coming back to the club, because obviously under Lee we walked away, was Rob... If you could be half the CEO that Nick Watkins was, you're going to be <laughs> on a good wicket with the club. And that's the best way I could ever sum up Nick's time at the club. Um, it was fantastic. No, you're very kind. Hey, listen, you know, you, you, but you mustn't, you know, it wasn't me. It was a, it was a team effort. And, and, you know, all of you made, made the club what it was and the contributions you made and the support that you did with sponsoring games and, Man of the match and players and stuff. You know, all of that was 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 hugely important. And um, you know, you just made the rebuilding uh, process uh, easier. Um, just you know, just as, I remember. I remember when when we when we first um, were taken over by Pitt and Harbib and and um, uh, Andrew Black. Um, Four four two came down. And um, we'd had a we'd had a um, sponsor, um, a local building company, who'd gone bust. Kingswood. And, uh, Kingswood, that's right, Kingswood. And the letters kept falling off the shirt, and it looked all a bit. <laughs> and um, anyway, we we we've just taken over the club, and um, Kingswood have gone bust, and we we we're, we're needing a new shirt sponsor, and. Um, Martin Jones, I think, from from Haymarket, came down, and he said, "I'm really interested in writing an article uh, in 442 every month about just following Swindon's 
um, fortunes. And I said, you, you can do that willingly. And I said, but would you, would you think about sponsoring uh, the shirt? And he said, we don't have the money to do that. And I said, I'm not asking for any money. I'm just asking would you sponsor the shirt. And so 442 um, sponsored our shirts for that first season. Um, and the impact that that had in terms of transforming the club's reputation in the, in the eyes of the fans, the fact that 442 would sponsor a Swindon Town shirt was immense. And it was the turning point of, of um, uh, people beginning to think, God, maybe this is now transformational. Um, and, uh, of course, on from that followed EA Sport and, and Samsung and all those other great sponsors later on. But it was that, that transition and just giving the sponsorship away for that season because I knew, I just knew that actually we would sell more shirts than we would get from sponsorship money by being able to say to the fans, we're doing something different. And so and that was immense, actually. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was a great partnership. And I'll tell you an interesting sort of twist on that, Nick. And I think I've mentioned this on a few shows, but um, that Mar your meeting with Martin also coincided with my initial departure from 442. And Martin sent me an email on my first day in my new role away from 442, um, knowing that obviously I was Swindon bonkers, um, saying, enjoy your new job. Um, look who we're sponsoring. So suffice to say, uh, I think it was about eight months later, I was I was back in the hot seat, hence yeah, I'm now acquainted. So uh, the what the pull of Swindon Town goes on. But listen, I mean, Nick, I, I, I'm chuffed that um, Kev gave us his time to come on tonight and have, and have a chat with you, um, yeah, thank and, you. And, thank and, you. And, and sort of share his, his, fond, uh, his fond memories directly. Um, and uh, suffice to say, um, you know, Kevin's Kevin's role in around Swindon's been uh, been you know around Swindon Town Football Club has been notable. Um, and most recently, um, Kevin and Verologic are now headline sponsors of the show that you're speaking on. So um, that's a nice way to sort of uh, a nice little circular narrative for us all. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm delighted. Delighted. Well, th thanks ever so much for joining us, Kev. It's a real treat to hear from you on the show, and it certainly won't be the last time we hear from you. <laughs> I'll tell you a little story about Nick. Um, and as you see now, those are going who still whoever attend the sponsors suite. Um, the chief, there's only two chief execs that really used to go around and shake everybody's hands. Rob's doing it now, but Nick instigated that a long time ago. He'd go around to every single sponsor, he'd go around to everybody. And when Dylan was about eight, seven or eight, he's lingering in the kitchen behind me at the moment. And when he was seven or eight, he used to steal Nick's glasses. And there was one occasion that Dylan's got them on. And Nick, I think Nick's forgotten. He's walked off in the sponsor suite to have a chat with some other sponsors. Well, Dylan sat there with his glasses. And it was only just before we went out on, into the stadium that Nick's remembered he hasn't got his glasses on. And, and this eight-year-old kid's running around with his glasses on. <laughs> it was like please didn't have my glasses back to them so yeah that little bugger there was lots of great times and it and Nick you, you've said it times that we've gone through a lot of the stories you and I had a, had a lovely lunch in Oxford one day when McCrory first came in and, and you and I spoke a lot about a lot about no. that and the history and everything else and yeah, it's it's and one thing Mark's touched touched on then as well. It has that feeling that the buzz now 
um, as some of the good times that we had under your tenure. tenure. And that's what's really good. And I, and I really believe, again, where we are now is not too dissimilar. And where Andrew and everyone came in and saved the club and with a good CEO backing it, it's very similar type path we're going on now with Clem, um, who is hobbling around the town at the moment with a with a airbag on his leg because he's fractured oh, really? ankle. Yeah, oh, really? he, he likes to play every time he can play, literally as much as he possibly can. Um, yeah. And we've got a CEO and a, a good infrastructure as well, and a, and an improvement daily. So yeah, there's a lot of synergy that I do see from the past and now as well. No, I agree, and you know, I keep an eye on it, and I um, I do get a sense that under Rob and with Clem uh, and with the with the SDFP trust, now I, I get a sense that stability um, stability is returned, and the club deserves that, and um, long may that remain. So I'll leave you to it, though. But last question, Nick. Have you got a prediction on our score tomorrow? Yeah. 1-0 uh, Swindon. That's, the, that's <laughs> what the listeners wanted we'll to hear. <laughs> here, here, we're we'll going to hold you to that, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. And third time lucky at Wembley in the playoffs. Eh? Yeah, indeed. You're absolutely right. Well, look, Nick, we'll... Um, we were talking about, um, I thought we'd take a, um, a, by bringing Kevin, I thought it'd be a nice little sojourn away from the managerial trip. But yeah. um, obviously, it, you know, things, things haven't quite worked out with, with Hart. But then something fairly dramatic happened in the manager's office, didn't it, thereafter? Well, so, so um, we got relegated, I think, up at Sheffield Wednesday, it was, on the Easter Monday. And Andrew, Andrew resigned. Um, and uh, Jeremy Ray um, stepped into the to the um, managing uh, into the um, chairman's role. Um, Andrew Fitton resigned and, and ceased to invest. Um, Martin Arbib had closed his checkbook, and um, Andrew Black was the last man standing and funding funding the club, um, mainly out of his loyalty to Jeremy. Um, because he wasn't really passionate about, about Swindon and didn't come to very many games. Um, and so Paul Hart goes and uh, Jeremy and I are now left with close season relegated back in League Two and um, thinking, what do we do? And we were heavily engaged in um, detailed conversation with Glenn Hoddle um, about Glenn coming back to the county ground as director of football, he did not want to be the manager, um, and would fold his academy that was in Spain uh, into, into the county ground. And um, he had an advisor called Neil Duncanson, who he spent quite a lot of time with. And um, we had Jeremy and initially Andrew Fitton and I, and then Jeremy and I took over that conversation. And we used to meet Glenn um, mainly at um, a hotel in, in Maidenhead, and one night um, it was um, to be the last game of the season, um, and we were playing Tranmere up at Tranmere. And um, Chris Tanner and myself, or one or two other hooligans, would often cycle to an away game to raise money for our charity of the season, and we were going to cycle to Tranmere. 
Um, but this was on the Wednesday night, and I was leaving on the Thursday to cycle up to Tranmere. And um, we'd gone to see Glenn up at um, the Maidenhead Holiday Inn. And just before I'd left the office, a agent called me and said, would you be interested in talking to Nicky Forster, um, who's just been let go by Brentford as player manager? And I said, sure, you know, and Sunday has a reputation for player managers. And um, so I said, yeah, sure, you'll put his CV across. Anyway, five minutes later, he called again, and he said, um, if you're willing to take a player manager, would you take an ex-player who has got no management experience? And I said, well, I, I don't know. I didn't think of who, who is it. And, and this shows my football ignorance. And, and, and I thought he said Paolo Wanchop. Um, <laughs> now, that would have been something. That would have been something. So anyway, I said, look, I'm leaving to go to a meeting. Um, can you wing the CV across? And um, I'll get my PA to uh, deal with it in the morning. I will not be there because I'm getting on my bike and cycling to Tranmere. Um, so I drive up to um, Reading, up to Maidenhead, meet Jeremy, and uh, we meet Glenn and um, chat to Glenn. And, and, and Glenn says, um, I've got a manager for you. Um, and I said, who's that? He said, Graham Ricks. I said, that's, gonna, that's not going to work, Glenn. That's not going to work. Graham Ricks used to coach. It was managed Oxford. And uh, and we also train at PGL. And that would have been a few issues there. So mm. I said, that's going to work. Anyway, um, so, so Glenn, back to the drawing board. So on the way back, um, I gave Jeremy a lift back to, to Newbury. And... Um, he said, "What other managers have have come in?" And we interviewed um, we interviewed a few, um, uh, a couple of Scottish managers and um, uh, a couple of other ex excellent, fairly senior kind of player managers. And um, I said, oh, "There's this chap just phoned up, mentioned Nicky Forster, but also um, mentioned some some ex West Ham." player called Paolo Wanchop or something. And Jeremy said, no, 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 it wouldn't be Paolo Wanchop. He said, what about Paolo Di Canio? I said, that's it, Paolo Di Canio. And Jeremy sort of, you know, at that point, said, virtually said, stop the car and let me did draw some breath. And he said, not Paolo Di Canio. I said, yeah. And um, I said, well, these CVs coming over and uh, Marie Saunders will sort it out and get it over to you uh, when I'm on my journey up to Tranmere. Anyway, long and the short of it, um, I get to Tranmere um, and Jeremy gives me a lift home, um, and the bike comes back on the team bus. And in the car back down the M6, Jeremy said, um, uh, Paolo de Canio is coming into town on Tuesday afternoon for an interview, but he doesn't want to come to the club because it's too high profile. So can we book a room uh, in a hotel near Heathrow um, where we can meet him? So um, I booked a room uh at the Runnymede Hotel again, and two o'clock, um, Jeremy's sort of uh, like an expectant parent, and, and um, uh, <laughs> um, in walks the Italian stallion. And, um, <laughs> what were your initial opinions, Nick? As he sort of walked in, was he was he humble? Was he flamboyant? How did Paolo first present? What were the first impressions? Ah, uh, well, you know, um, incredibly um, 
you know, well, well, uh, you know, quite suavely, you know, dark sunglasses, very tight fitting shirt. Um, you know, he had a very lean physique anyway. And, um, uh, and he comes in and it was, it was from the word go or the word they use there is from the get go. Um, it was like a fire hydrant being turned on you at full blast. And, and, uh, <laughs> uh, uh Paolo is you know, getting sort of more and more animated about what he can do and what a great manager he'd be. And, and I hadn't, hadn't realized that Jeremy's, um, I hope he's changed it now, but Jeremy's password was Paolo De Canio. Uh, on it. And, um, so, um, you know, Paolo's getting more and more animated and, and buttons are flying off his tightly fitting shirt and, you know, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this, be creative. And, and so it was all going, to, and, and, and I could see Jeremy just thinking, God, I can't believe I'm inhaling the air that Paolo's exiting. And um, uh, anyway, um, he had his agent with him, Phil. Phil Spencer. Sorry, Phil Spencer, um, Frank's brother. And um, um, anyway, um, Spencer takes Paolo back to the airport. And um, the long and the short of it is that um, uh, a deal is done and Paolo will, will, will come as the, um, as the manager of Swindon Town. And the rest is history, really. Um, and I, re you know, I remember vividly um, turning up on the Monday morning when we were announcing Paolo's appointment. And normally, you know, as most fans will know, when we appoint a new manager of Swindon Town, you know, we're there with a sort of obligatory scarf and there's the chief exec and um, maybe the kit man and, and the new manager saying it's a real honour to be, you know, manager of Swindon Town. Um, and it's the sort of BBC South and Radio Wilshire and um, and very few others. Um, and on this occasion, I couldn't get into the car park on the on the Monday morning. There was Sky News, Sky Italia, this and that. And I walked up into, into the sponsor suite and there were 70 members of the press all sitting there. And um, Jeremy Ray, Paolo, myself, Phil Spencer... I think even Mike Spearman is the chairman or whatever at the time, um, patron, he was there. And um, uh, Paolo gave it his all, you know, this, and um, who, he's got, who he was going to bring in as his assistant manager and which players he was going to bring in and, and Kamazi this and Fabrino that and whatever else. And, um, you know, the press were all fascinated by uh, the appointment of, of um, Juan P. De Canio. Um, and um, and so you know he was anointed. And um, so how how did you obviously the the, the Paolo Di Canio sort of you know sort of ball gets rolling there? I mean, was he was he sort of the sort of difficult for want of a better word to kind of corral from the off, or was he was he a CEO's dream? Like how how did you find him say for the first sort of like three to six months? CEO's dream or a CEO's nightmare. Um, listen, I, I make no secret of the fact, and um, I tried, you know, I tried my level level best to um, support him in every way. And there were players flying in from Italy, and I was detailed off as a sort of Swindon taxi company to go to Heathrow and pick up all these Italian players coming in and take them around Swindon and show them the schools for the children and. Make sure their wives, you know, were, were um, shown the outlet centre and, and, and whatever else. Um, 
and um, I really went sort of out of my way to support Paolo and 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 what have you. Um, but it was quite challenging, um, and uh, he was immensely demanding, as we know. Um, and um, he and I didn't have the the greatest of relationships um, fairly early on. Mm. Um, I think I think he thought I was um, obstructive and um, not allowing him to do what what he wanted to do. But in Jeremy, you know, he had a fantastic um, supporter, and and so. It was a somewhat invidious situation to be in, where you know you were trying to do what was right for the club and control some of the excess. Yeah, um, and, it, it, and it must have been a very, very difficult position for you to be in as well, Nick. Because you mentioned the word excess. Obviously, on the pitch, there were there was obviously um, fantastic results after a sticky start, and town town are flying up the table, um, sitting pretty at the very, very summit of it. That you know, you've got Paolo waving the scarf. You've got the the fans, and and clearly, from what you're saying, Jeremy under his spell. Um, did you did you get a sense of? Hang on a second, like you know, there is this sort of, in, in, you know, quite clearly an impending doom here if things stay this way. Or um, did, was it just a question of just like hold on to your hats and enjoy the ride and 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 hope for the best? I think the first season, Hannah's you know, the first season, as you say. Um, Challenging early start, uh, I remember, um, was the very first time that Swindon and Oxford uh, were playing each other. Um, Swindon, I think Swindon were out in League Two, and Oxford had got promoted and back into League Two. And the first time that Oxford were due to meet Swindon, uh, the game was played on a Sunday um, in in late August, I think. And uh, Paolo had built up the, the sort of whole hype around Oxford and um, what have you. So there was a real tense atmosphere. And um, uh, Paolo got sent uh, got sent off um, two-thirds of the way through the game for being overly animated in the dugout. So he came and sat next to me. And um, I kept sort of trying to put my hand on his knee and say, Paolo, Paolo, just settle down. Anyway, um, it looked as though, I think they had a fellow called James Constable playing for Oxford at the time. It looked like he was about to score a goal uh, up at the Stratton Bank end. And so Paolo stood up to um, uh, to watch the action. And the chairman of Oxford was sitting right behind Paolo. And he tapped Paolo on the sh- shoulder and said, Mr. Kenny, would you, mind, would you mind sitting down? And Paolo turned around and said, you tell me that one more time, I slit your throat. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I thought, right, so I've got, I've got a tiger by the tail here. Anyway, um, you know, we 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 cleaned up in in um, in League Two. The wonderful Paul Caddis uh, was captain. We had Simon Ferry. Uh, we had Chibocci, what it was called, and um, and uh, quite a few of the Italian players that Paolo brought in you know, didn't didn't make it, and and and. Either spent their life in the, what was called the leper colony in those days, um, or um, they were being sent back to Italy. But anyway, we got promoted and um, champions of League Two, uh, went up to League One, and Paolo had now established himself um, and had an incredibly generous playing budget uh, for a League One side. Um, I think the playing budget was probably close to four million um, for a League One side, which was quite generous. And um, in that second, in that second spell, um, 
I think Andrew Black was becoming increasingly disillusioned by some of the antics. I think you know, when Fodringham got substituted against Preston or then very early on and very publicly, um, Andrew Black was saying, you know, the value of my players is being destroyed here and, and what have you. And I think Jeremy's contact and communication with, with Andrew became a bit fractious and frayed. And um, uh, certainly I, I was finding Paolo more and more challenge and Phil Spencer had so much influence um, in and around the club. Um, and um, we played, um, I think it was Tranmere on the 23rd of December 2012. We won. Uh, we were pretty much up in top of the league, um, League One. And I think we were definite promotion candidates to the championship, which would have been amazing. Um, and um, Andrew Black called me on January the 4th and asked for a meeting in London. And he said to me, I'm not putting any more money in. Um, I'm done. And I said, but you know, you're committed to the playing budget and we've we haven't spent all the money, but we've committed the full playing budget. And um, Andrew said, well, I'm sorry, but you know, that's the way it is. I'm not putting any more money in. And um, I said, well, come January the 31st, when I've paid the players' salaries, um, we will be uh, insolvent. And he said, well, that's a problem. And here's the name of an insolvency practitioner. Um, so uh, it was kick, bollock and scramble. Uh, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And um, we knew a lawyer, um, Trevor Watkins from Pinsett Mason, who was close to the club. He used to he, he used to be a lawyer at Clark Wilmot, who were the club's lawyers. And um, he knew various people who might be interested. Um, but we couldn't get that stoked up um, in time for the end of January. And on January the 30th, Paolo was wanting more players in um, to push for promotion. And we knew that we just a, couldn't afford um, to bring any players. We weren't allowed to bring any more players in. Um, that was of course, <laughs> Nick. <clears throat> Sorry, just to butt in, Nick. I mean, there was the famous story of um, Bradley Wright Phillips um, and another couple of fellas essentially hovering over contracts with, you know, with pens in hand. And I mean, that must have been a very, very awkward situation for you to be in. Well, it was very awkward in so much as um, uh, Jeremy, if you could, Jeremy Ray um, had exited as chairman and Sir, Philip, uh, Sir William Patey um, was appointed by Andrew Black to be the chairman. And Sir William had been the um, ambassador to Afghanistan. And I think Andrew Black felt if he can deal with the Taliban, he can deal with Paolo de Canio. But um, I think the Taliban... <laughs> I think the Taliban was soft meat compared to to the Canio, and um, and so uh, so William Patey's there, and um, uh, the decision is not to to put any more money in. Um, we're facing insolvency, and yet Paolo was wanting to bring these other players in. But the football league were now very aware of our precarious financial state, and they put an embargo on us. Um, bring any players in at all. And Phil Spencer was pushing and pushing and pushing. Uh, and Joe Scott, the finance director, and I, on the last, on the eve of the transfer window, was saying, we just can't do this, we can't do this. And Phil Spencer saying, I'll talk to the football league, I'll sort it out. Well, you know, 
they said no, no, no. So these players turned up and they were all being interviewed and, and given a medical. And I'm thinking, this is crazy because we just can't sign these players. Um, but Phil Spencer's telling Paolo it's possible and what have you. Anyway, at four o'clock on the afternoon of January the 30th, um, I get a call from Bournemouth uh, to say, um, we'll give you half a million quid for Matt Ritchie um, on the nose tonight. And um, I phoned Andrew Black, who was still you know, the owner of the club until such time as new owners were taken in. And I said, Andrew, I need, you know, these are your assets. I need your permission. And he said, sell him um, and the 500 quid will see you through until hopefully the new owners take over. And um, so I had to phone Matt, who lived down on the south coast, and say, Matt, can you get along to Bournemouth before five o'clock and um, have a medical, And uh, which he did. And um, I didn't have time to tell Paolo I'd sold his best player. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I remember the evening of the Leighton Orient game. I mentioned it at the start of the show, Nick. And um, I think one of, the, one of the things that certainly endeared you to me as a Swindon fan was there was a real sort of sadness in your eye that night that, you know, you knew that things were unravelling really quickly. You were being very transparent with me as your sponsor at the time, uh, along with Samsung and EA. Um, and the... The, the sadness not only of seeing a great guy leave the club in Matt Ritchie, but also you you very quickly tuned into the fact that that was going to have a devastating impact on fan morale as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there we were, you know, on the cusp of of promotion, and um, I think undoubtedly Decanio had momentum now in the side, and Matt Ritchie was on fire, um, and uh, we were we were playing. Uh, great football and and um, pulling results out of the fire and and um, you know to let your talisman go um, was devastating. But you know what what was important was to keep the club alive and and so we kept the club alive for for fifteen more days or so. Um, uh, Paolo stormed out. Um, funny enough, Tranmere featured again. Um, we were due to play Tramir on the Tuesday. Paolo stormed out on the Monday. Um, Fabrizio um, took over as the manager. Um, there was a few shenanigans on the way up to Tranmere in terms of um, stopping at the hotel for the team meal, etc. And that was the team ended up buying a sandwich in Marks and Spencers on the M6. And um, uh, anyway, we went to Tranmere and we won on that Tuesday night and Fabrizio and the rest of the squad resigned the next day. And um, uh, Ward Ward, um, and uh, the midfield player, a lovely fellow from from uh, the North East. Dr. Miller, Dr. Tommy Miller. Dr. Tommy Miller. They took over as the managers um, for a while. And then Jed McCrory and uh, that wonderful crew turned up and um, took over the club and said to me, thanks, Nick, but we don't need nobody like you anymore. Um, and, um, you know, the rest is history, sadly. And it wasn't it wasn't the cleanest of breaks, but that's, you know, um, history now. And, and um, they've gone and then power took over. And now, thankfully, it looks as though um, sanity has returned to the boardroom and long may they go on and eventually realise their true worth and ambition. 
Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean, a, a, a hell of a ride. I mean, from I, I, I posed this question to Fabrizio, Nick, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago about do you do you ever think that Paolo Di Canio would would return to Swindon Town? I mean, having having dealt with him, can you ever see a day where Paolo's back in our dugout? Um, I don't think so. Um, because I don't think you would find a chairman who would be as generous and as tolerant as Jeremy Ray was and who Jeremy persuaded Andrew Black in the early days to buy into the Decanio um, plan um, and lavish that amount of money on players. And, you know, you look back now and think of all the players we brought in and, you know, they played one game and then they were just... Um, uh, sent to the leper colony and never played again. And you know, the amount of assets that were just spent running up and down a track not playing. And I can't imagine too many chairmen would 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 allow that and could afford to allow that um, situation. And um, you know, Paolo went on to Sunderland, of course. Um, I'd left Swindon um, for the very first time in many a year. I'd joined the family on a ski holiday over Easter down in the south of France. Uh, and at four o'clock on Easter Sunday, uh, Sky Sport called me and said, Nick, what do you think of um, having made the comment management by hand grenade? What do you think about Ellis Short appointing Paolo to Sunderland? Did he call you? And I said, I, I can't believe you're telling me this, um, that Paolo's gone to Sunderland with Fabrizio and, and uh, the rest of the squad. Um, and... Um, and that Ella Short never never called, and and um, and Margaret Byrne was the chief executive some of the time, and Paolo and female execs didn't get on terribly well, um, and um, and of course you know the rest is history. There it didn't last very long, and I think that would mar anybody's. You know, you look at that and how the quick falling out with the players and. Um, or have you, just the style. Now, whether Paolo looks back now and thinks, you know, if I had my time over again, I'd do things very differently. Um, you know, there's no doubting. There is no doubting. He was a first-class coach. He was a first-class coach. He was, he was brutal. Um, he was challenging. He was difficult. Uh, but as a coach, I think players would say to you, they learned a great deal from him. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, it's... Um... I, I think to to an individual, we've had, we've had quite a few people on from that era um, that have all kind of um, reflected on that time and sort of mirrored your comments, Nick. I think um, I think I um, the the best summary I think I had was obviously captain at the time, Paul Caddis. I know Paul's listening in tonight, but um, you know Paul goes on to reference the careers that have been had by the likes of himself, Aidan Flint, um, uh, God, Matt Ritchie, obviously, Wes Fodderingham, um, you know, all these all these guys at the time found him very, very difficult, but both in terms of their career longevity and also their their, their, their future development thereafter, um, they often tip a, you know, a nod of the hat to Paolo, and, and indeed, Cy Ferry is probably, um, you know, uh, uh, one, of, one of the ones that paints the most graphic picture where he talks about the fact that he was absolutely terrified of him, but at the same time, on reflection, completely adored the impact it had on his career as well. Oh, look, I mean, those, you know, those, they were great players anyway, um, or good players, and, and, and Paolo helped them realise their potential. I think that's what he was, was very good at, if he, if, he, if he liked them. But we all know, and poor old 
um, Caddy was was one of the victims of you know when you fall out with a canio, um, it's difficult to find your way back, and and um, you don't have to say or do very much to fall out. It was a uh, it was a very tenuous type of relationship we had with with people. I think Richie was one of the few players that that um, that he he didn't um, uh, have a falling out with, but. Um, there's no doubting he was he was you know, he was a master tactician. Um, uh, he was um, uh, an excellent an excellent coach, and of course he was an outstanding player in in, in his time. But um, you know when I when I when I coach leadership as I do a lot today, you know I I, I talk to my clients about you know having the ten attributes of leadership, you know wisdom. Um, honesty, passion, commitment, strategy, etc. Um, innovation, creativity. Uh, but like a great sportsman, if you're going to be a great tennis player, you know, you'd never be a good tennis player unless you can do a backhand, a forehand, a, a serve, return the serve, etc. You may be stronger on the forehand than the backhand, but you've got to have the full suite. But in order to be a great champion, you have to have the behaviors that go with it. And something like Federer or Nadal. You know, they haven't got all the skills, all the attributes, but they've got the behaviours to go with it that make them true champions. Mm. And you've got one or two other players who've got all the skill, all the skill, um, but they don't have the behaviours and they never make true champions. I think you've got to have a blend of both. Yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, look, Nick, I, I, I guess I would, I would kind of close this conversation with you by asking about, and it's, I'm gonna, there's a bit of a two-pronged question here, classic Hannah's style, Nick, so please bear with me. But mm-hmm. the, I was going to ask you about if you had your time again or do you have a single regret from your time at Swindon Town? But I just want to link back into something you mentioned before, the, the, the late, great Gary Speed. I yeah. get the impression that if there was one regret that you had at Swindon Town, it was not really pushing to get Gary Speed through the door. It, would that be a fair thing to say, or would you replace that with it, with with anything else you would have done differently? No, I, I think you know Gary Gary Speed, God rest his soul, um, was desperately keen to get into management, um, and he was at Sheffield United at the time, um, and. Uh, he was due to have a back operation, um, so he was doing more managing coaching, but he's doing coaching as opposed to playing. Um, and Andrew Fitt and Jeremy Ray and I met him uh, at a hotel on the M1, um, halfway between um, London and, and um, Sheffield. And Gary turned up, it was a Friday afternoon, and um, charming, delightful man. Um, and he said something that, that, that has resonated with me. One of the many things he said, but one of the things that resonated with me, and, and I use it today uh, in a lot of the work I do. He said, you know, I said to him, uh, what, what do you do differently as a manager that, that other managers mightn't do? And he said, um, you need to understand that... Um, you will not hear my voice on the training pitch at all. I'll observe. Um, I'll discuss with my coaches. But you'll hear my coaches' voices on the training pitch. You will not hear my voice. But you will hear my voice on match day in the dugout, and you won't hear my coaches' voice. Because I want the players to understand that there is a clear line of demarcation between the training pitch and the match day pitch. 
And when they hear my voice on match day, they'll know they're in a different situation to what they are when they're training on the training pitch. And simple, simple, but actually really important. That line of demarcation, you know, this is different to training lads. This is the real thing. And um, I, I think that different tone, having that different voice, um, makes people take notice of the fact that we're in a different scenario and different situation. And it was just one of these, one of these many kind of words of wisdom, I thought. And um, uh, now we were desperately to get him, um, uh, Kevin McCabe, who owns Sheffield United at the time, whom I know. Um, and um, I forget who the chief executive is, a huge chap. Uh, who was the chief exec, um, Tony, something or other. And they just said, look, you know, we're not going to let Gary go. Um, uh, we still think he's got a bit of mileage left as a player. But if he's going to manage anywhere, he's going to manage Sheffield United. And mm. um, that was it, really. Yeah, so, no, not, no not, not, not a regret getting him over the line. I just think he was a, you know, of all the different managers you meet, uh, he was just somebody who had a, a, a very fresh approach. And, and I thought it would have dovetailed well with what we were trying to do. Yeah, um, yeah, late great Gary Speed. I, I mean, it, it, the, it, the it, it's just one of those. Uh, obviously, a lot of times passing since Gary's passing, but you know, you see his achievements that he went on to um, uh, to enjoy uh, with the Welsh national team, um, and just obviously the the devastation through football when um, sadly Gary left us. The lip smacking sort of potential at Swindon Town fitting that tracksuit manager role perfectly. Yeah. Like yeah. you said, he still had some playing playing miles left in the tank. The idea of, of, of Gary Speed, you know, sort of strutting his stuff in the red and white swind and town is something that, you know, gets me really excited. And it's a very, very sort of, you know, um, yeah, very, very sad, but yet very exciting prospects. Um, but, you know, um, very, very different and, and very, very different to what we ended up with with Paolo. But look, I mean, Nick, what, what, what a journey. I'm, I'm so chuffed that you come on and, and shared and spoke so wonderfully well about your time at Swindon Town. And, and, and I'll take you right back to what you said at the very, very beginning, Nick. The reason why you're so uh, held in such fine regard by Swindon Town fans is what you said about their, their importance to the club and recognising that. Um, was very, very obvious in the way you conducted yourself and the messaging that you put out to the fans as well. And, um, I mean, I, I would hope that we'd see you back at the county ground sometime soon. Have you got plans to come and join us? Are you going to be at Wembley, of course? Uh, well, yeah, actually, un unfortunately not. Um, uh, because, um, A, I'm at a wedding uh, that very day. Um, postpone, Nick. Don't worry. They could, they could, that, listen, if I'd been running Swindon Town and we had got to Wembley, uh, I think I would have been uh, um, uh, getting a letter from Mum to say I couldn't attend the wedding. But um, uh, uh, it's a client of mine who's uh, who's also a family friend and um, their son's getting married. So uh, that's up in the Cotswolds. So sadly, that day, um, we can't. But I, I also hope that... Um, uh, my elder son, James, who um, learned his craft uh, as a kiosk manager at Swindon Town and went on when he was at Liverpool University um, to command uh, a position at uh, Anfield um, as a hospitality steward based on his um, wonderful training at the county ground. Um, uh, he is about to become a father on the 29th of, or 28th of May too. So um, uh, it might have been a double whammy, but hey... 
look, I'll be there in spirit. Uh, I just sincerely hope they do get there. They deserve to get there. Be such a wonderful, wonderful um, step on the journey. The one that we never quite achieved. Andrew Fittner said, you know, "Championship football, championship football." We nearly got there, but for a bobble on the pitch. Um, and um, I just say to all of the fans and to the team and everybody still involved in Swindon. Four of the five years were the, some of the happiest years of my time. Uh, I look back with huge fondness of the, the friendships, the likes of you and and Martin and, and everybody, Kevin and all those people that um, uh, I dealt with there. There were such delights. To, to And the reason that I probably did what I did was because I enjoyed the people who were there. Um, and um, I just hope that this time around uh, they achieve the dream and go on. Uh, and be the success that Swindon deserves to be. But um, fingers crossed, candles lit, poker in the draw, and um, you know whatever else you do to 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 um, to encourage luck. But no, thank you. No, you're very welcome, Nick. Listen, we'll be ra- I'll be raising a glass, um, all being well, um, around what we're doing for time around this time tomorrow. I'll be hopefully in a car celebrating somewhere and um, I'll, I'll, I'll be thinking of you, Nick. And no doubt there'll be a few others that have listened in tonight that'll be thinking the same thing. Nick Watkins, ladies and gentlemen, um, what an absolute treat. Now, Nick, we're, we're about to sort of activate a, a phone-in aspect of our show now. I won't hold yeah. you to hanging around, but you're more than welcome to. I'll leave that up to you. Dave, say yes. Dave, say no. If you want to slip off stage right, you're more than welcome to do that. But Nick, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real treat. Hey, look, it's um, 20 to 11 and, um, you know, we get to my age, you're going to be in bed by 11. But, um, uh, hey, listen, I'm happy to stay for for um, for uh, for a little while if you want me to. Well, you're more, you're more than welcome, Nick. You're more than welcome. You stay for as long as you like. I'll bring Joe and, indeed, my, my usual um, co-host, Tyler. I'll bring you guys both on at this stage. How are you, gentlemen? Well... What a show that was, Nick. Yeah. Um, what, a, what, a Joe, eh? what a gentleman, Joe, What a gentleman, Mr. Watkins is. What a gentleman. That was fantastic. I've been the worst co-host in history. Just been sat here taking it all in. Um, yeah, fantastic show. Well done, Hannah's. Nick's, okay. Nick's, had you, Nick's had you under his spell, as he had me under for many, many a day. Back back in the day when I had more hair and some terrible, some terrible choice in suits. Um, really? Tyler, Tyler, are you with us? Good evening. Good evening, Ty. What did you make of Mr. Watkins? I'm sure you enjoyed yourself. From, from the bits I caught, it, it was very interesting to listen to. So, yeah, well done to to, to the both of you. Oh well, God bless you. Now, well, now listen, gentlemen. We we've got the the small matter of arguably the biggest game in Swindon Town's recent history post Mr. Watkins et al. Um, oh. I mean, obviously, we said that all being well, we're going to turn this into a little bit of a kind of phoning experience tonight. And um, I think what we'll look to do is we're, we're trying, whilst Nick's with us, Nick with his experience in playoffs and what it means to the club, um, should we go up, should we go down? No doubt we'll be able to inject some interesting sort of um, uh, insights into it. And we're going to try and get as many people on as, as possible tonight. We've got um, we've got a couple of lovely incentives. Our, our other uh, um, uh, partner on the show, Dan Designs, has put up a couple of hand-signed... Um, uh, Prince, which we'll be giving away to questions of the show. Now, all I will ask is this, guys. We obviously run this show without a producer. Now, producers on radio.
radio shows will normally vet your questions before you come on and ask them. I'll just remind you what the ethos of this show is. If you are going to ask any questions of our guests or indeed us, please don't make them abusive. If we feel that they're going to be straying into any legal dodgy ground, we won't be able to answer your questions. And I hope that's fair enough for you all. But um, I, I know JJ has been absolutely gagging uh, to come on and, and, and get involved with the show and ask some questions. So JJ, I'm just turning your mic on. JJ, you're on with us, mate. You just need to unmute your mic and then you can fire away. Hello, mate. You all right? Yeah, very well. How are yeah, you? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Buzzing for tomorrow, as I think we all are. Yeah, well, tell me about it. Um, what's your... Uh, now, do you have a question for, uh, indeed, us, JJ, or Nick, or a, a general observation? Where would you like to go um, with I think it's a question for all of you, but is tomorrow nerves or confidence, or is it a mixture, or what's the feeling going into it? Oh, well, I tell you what, whilst Nick's on, whilst Nick's on, Joe, let's bounce that over to Nick. Nick, as, as, a, as a CEO that's gone into the playoffs, did, did nerves play a role um, for you going into a playoff campaign? What, for me personally or for for, for the club? Well, well I, I guess give us, give, us, give us both your renditions. Well, I, I remember vividly, um, I mean, the players had their own nerves, of course, and it was the manager's job to... Um, to quell those nerves, or um, certainly uh, keep keep the players uh, in a, in a state of, of, of uh, confidence. And we you know, we used to go out to Wembley on the Friday. Um, and we had an hour allocated uh, to walk around the pitch and get the players to just soak up the atmosphere and um, see where they'd be changing and and, and what have you uh, before going to the to the team hotel for the for the evening. Um, on the on the eve of the of the playoff, um, for the for the for the for the um, non-playing staff, I remember on the Friday just before I got on a team coach to go up to Wembley, calling the entire uh, executive staff together and said, "Look, you know, you you as you are as much responsible for what we've achieved by getting to the playoffs as as the players. You know, you've done your bit, um, and what you do off the pitch is just as important as what goes on the pitch." And I said, if we do not, if we make it to the championship, you know, what a wonderful uh, new pre-season we'll have in terms of planning uh, for match days with some of the highly uh, regarded sides that, that inhabit the championship. I said, but if we don't get through, the toughest job for all of us will be um, dealing with the disappointment and we look at the fixture list that are still League One and think, no, it's not kind. It could have been um, Sheffield, whoever, and um, Derby or whatever, but it'll be Carlisle and Hartlepool and whatever else. So we're going to have to pick ourselves up um, just as much as the players need to pick themselves. So, yeah, you know, there's a lot of nerves, a lot of anticipation um, and a lot of a lot of hope resting on, on, the, uh, on the game. But at the end of the day, sadly, there's always one winner and one loser. And we were the loser. Twice, yeah. Actually. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Thanks for thanks for dropping the twice bit in there, Nick. Just to, just to, just to keep us all grounded, Joe. What's where, where are your nerves? Are, are you feeling nerves, Joe? Uh, I'm not going to lie, mate. I felt sick since Sunday about half two. Um, I, I I feel disgusting. I think tonight for the last couple of hours, my mind's gone off a bit, so uh, I feel a bit better about myself. But I I've through so many different playoff campaigns, obviously you got well, I say something different. It feels like loads too. Uh, the Millwall game was the first time I've cried at a football match. 
So that was uh, that was nice. Uh, it was disgusting. If there's penalties tomorrow night, I'm leaving. Um, <laughs> I'm going to that. You're not even turning your back, Joe. You're just leaving. I'm, I'm leaving, yeah. I'm, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going somewhere. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm watching the uh, Europa League final in the background here, and uh, it's gone to penalties, as did last night with the Nottingham Forest game. And we don't want penalties. Oh, good luck. Well, listen, I think I, I think from from my point of view, JJ, the sort of go into the nurse thing, I I've been feeling cool as a cucumber, and I, I and, and I mentioned this um, earlier in the show, and 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 Vic Morgan, who's listening in, was very kind to raise this on the on the sofa for me on Monday. I think we've Tyler and I have been kind of pretty blessed over the last couple of weeks because we've we've been we've been very very fortunate in being invited into the county grounds to come and meet you know the uh, the pick of the first team boys for want of a better word and by that I mean the guys that you probably point your finger to and say those would be our match winners. Now the thing that really struck me about all of those individuals is there is a a real sense of. I use the term um, confidence or, or the terms confidence with a hint of arrogance. And, and I do stress a hint of arrogance, and that's definitely not a negative. I think there is a, a steely determination about them. And yes. crucially, as we've seen on this ridiculous run of wins that we've had that secured our playoff place, um, they're backing up their their confidence with results and performances and and even if you know you could argue the performance on Sunday wasn't a complete performance I think we saw enough and we created enough chances that we could have been well out of sight um, with a little you know rubber the green here and there a little bit more composure and and I think I I look at our team from goalkeeper right the way through the side and I look at them and I think man for man we are the better team we are the better technicians We've got a huge pitch that we're going to be playing on up there, which will play to our play to our strengths. Um, I think I, I just have the confidence, having looked these guys in the eye, that they're going to turn up and do what they did, just like they did at Warsaw. When the pressure was on, they knew they needed to get result, and by God, did they go and get it. So, I mean, Ty, where's where's your mind at? Are you, I know, obviously, you're you're prone to a good bout of nerves, Tyler, before a, before a game. Are you are you feeling confident? Uh, I'm weirdly confident, but also terrified. But I, I fancy us if it went to pens at the same time. So I'm, I'm, I'm quietly confident, but, but there's definitely no there. Mm. And how are you feeling, Kevin? Well, I spoke to you earlier on this, and partly is confident, um, and partly is nervous. But so what you stressed earlier is, as you know. You and Ty did go in the boot room and I got in front of the guys. And like you said, they very much are, are there. Their confidence is high. And, and, and Nick will agree with this. You need, at, the, at all good levels of sport, you need a bit of arrogance. That's what makes the best the best. And if you look at some of our players, they've got, they've got that edge. And it comes down to, I think it's going to come down to something different tomorrow. A Frenchy header from a corner, something like that is going to do it for us. But I'm very, I'm going three one tomorrow. And and Nick, so reflecting back on on previous playoff campaigns, and like you mentioned, being close with the squad and people like Gordy Greer and and the impact on the changing room. Would, would was there? I, I don't. I mean, we're talking about sort of tomorrow's game, but I can't resist but go back to 
Wembley and the, and Charlie Austin Bobble. Was, was there anything about that squad where you went into that game kind of having doubts about where some of the players' mindsets were in in relation to the kind of attributes we're talking about now? Yeah, I, I think you know. If I look back now, um, uh, and and maybe some of the some of the selection you know, we'd lost Gordon, which was, as I say, a real a real tragedy for for us. But you know, um, Jonathan Douglas, those who remember him, great player that he might have been. You know, he'd been to the playoff finals on several occasions well, and lost. Um, he wasn't the most animated of characters. Um, he didn't really kind of build that. sort of um, sense of, of emotion uh, in in the players and and um, you know I, I remember him walking out onto the pitch when he had his sort of head down um, uh, and more as if he's going to a funeral than a playoff final um, and you know behavior breeds behavior and 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 the, and the team uh, sort of pick up on that um, and they look for their energy and we played Kevin Amankwell um, and if you remember earlier in the season when we played Millwall, um, Amankwa and Harris had had a set two, um, and there was a lot of argy bargy and, and accusations after that about things that had been said vis a vis Harris's medical condition, etc. That had really wound up the, the Millwall fans. So as soon as as soon as Amankwa, who was who was a player who had to play with confidence. Um, uh, as soon as he touched the ball, the Millwall fans were on his back, and I think he's remember he. I think he scored an own goal, thankfully offside or something. But um, uh, within the early minutes, and you think, oh Christ, you know, they're just not in the right mindset. And for the first forty-five minutes, they weren't. And you know, you've got to go out there, even before you cross the white line, you've got to be in the right frame of mind, and and you you've got to have that um, that sense of determination. And I think that was missing on the day. And there was, I think, a lot, a lot of expectation too, which is, I think, a lot of people go, "Well, Charlie will rescue us." Um, I think that was also part of the psyche. It's okay, just give the ball to Charlie, um, mm. and uh, I think that was part of our downfall. Yeah, Nick, coming on to that, what you just said about Charlie and uh, the age he actually was in that game, the pressure on him uh, it must have been immense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I think it was everybody it was Charlie Austin against Millwall. Um, and I think everybody expected him to be the golden boot and and um, and, and and take us through. Um, and there was nobody better than him to do that, really. Um, but you need support, and you know it's all right scoring goals up front, but you can't be letting them in at the back. We were just a bit frail. We had a great young player. Sadly, he's tragically ill now, Stephen Darby, um, uh, and we should have probably played him. I would have made him, if it had been me, if, I, if it had been Daniel, I would have made Stephen Darby captain on the day myself. Mm. But, um, a time now. Well, it was, I mean, yeah, I mean, Stephen Darby's, you know, sort of strength of character at the tender age he was at the time, what was he, 18, 19, Nick, in the Charlton yeah, yeah. second leg, you yeah. know, to bury the, bury the winning penalty really was something. And I was genuinely, genuinely shocked to see that he was benched for the final. I think... Um, there was also Char- Charlie Austin and I on the show a couple of weeks ago had quite an animated debate about whether we would have um, uh, played Billy Painter. And Charlie was of the opinion, absolutely, despite the fact he'd been struggling with injury. But I was of the opinion it should have been Danny Ward up top and um, O'Brien out on the wing because I thought 
pace would have would have would have worried them and 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 I just felt I remember thinking at the time it just all looked so we just looked so pedestrian on the day. Um, yeah. and and as you quite rightly said, I mean Amanqua was the was the pantomime villain that all of the Millwall fans of which they pretty much sold their entire allocation, if I remember. I mean they they, they weren't short on season on the opportunity to berate Amanqua and um yeah, I mean, fair to say in my view he had an absolute shocker. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I, I, you look back now and think just, just some, some, some poor decision making. But that's the difference between success and, and failure, isn't it? You know, it's the decisions you take at the time. Um, and um, I think what probably hurt Danny and why he didn't speak from the minute we left Wembley till we got to Junction 14, he just stared out the window. He must have been thinking, "I made some mistakes there. I, I, I picked the wrong side." Um, and 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 paid the price. And there were, as you say, Painter was struggling with a bit of injury. I think. He was already being tapped up to go to Leeds, um, uh, but um, yeah, I, I just couldn't understand why he appointed Douglas as captain and played him ankle. But um, you know, quite Andrew Fitton, I know bugger all about football. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I, I think you disproved disproved that theory somewhat tonight, Nick. Um, not for the not it would appear not through the lack of trying. I'll bring um, I'll introduce um, uh, Vic Morgan, an old voice from your past that's wind and sound as well. Good evening, Vic. How are you? I'm very well, Hannes. Thank you. I've enjoyed this very much. It's been an immensely interesting conversation with Nick, and what a fascinating run through his time at the club. Absolutely amazing. Oh, thank you, Vic. <laughs> well, it's it's a it's a joy to be able to bring you both bring you both back together. How how are your? I mean, Vic, there's nothing you haven't seen um, in, in the red and white of Swindon Town. How where's where's your head at going into tomorrow's big match? Oh, I've just watched um, I, while listening to you. I've also watched the well the Mansfield Northampton game and then the Rangers. Eintracht Frankfurt game. I, I mean, I, I don't know if people recorded it. I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, <laughs> endings. Uh, I don't, there's one particular ending I don't want, and uh, that involves kicks from 12 yards. You know, I don't think my nerves can go through that, quite frankly. Um, but it's just going to be a, an amazing day. I think, you know, we just go there, enjoy the day, because we're one game from a possible you know, game which will take us up to the next level. So we just got to go there and enjoy it. And what will be, will be. That's the way I'm looking at it. What will be, will be. What will happen on the night will happen. And we'll either get there or we won't get there. But one thing that is absolutely certain, we've had a magnificent season and nobody can take that away from us. Yeah, and I'll, I'll mirror that, Vic. Absolutely mirror that sentiment. I think that's kind of playing into my sort of relatively pragmatic mindset. I mean, I remember before the Charlton playoff, I was where Joe was telling me and, and Tyler are telling me that they are now. And I appreciate that was a, a much younger Hannahs than I am now. Um, and, you know, with, with, with life miles comes a certain perspective. But I can't help but just reflect on where we all were stood in the county ground um, having just about scraped a team together against Peterborough in pre-season and, and, and not only Peterborough but we can go back to Supermarine and Melcham and, and I, I fast forward to where we're at now and, and, and I think that's my message to, to all the fans really look we've got nothing to lose you know everything thereafter is a bonus but crucially we've got this very 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 talented team we just got to go and just get behind them give it everything and of course I want to win. Of course I do. But I've got to be honest, 
I won't, it won't feel like a crushing defeat given the context of the season and where we've come from. Well, I think also you've got to recognise that whatever happens tomorrow night, Friday morning will happen. You know, it's not kind of it, it, the world won't stop, so it's not the end of the world, but it will feel like it for a few hours. There's no question. And you're talking to somebody who still hasn't got over the League Cup semi-final defeat by Wolves in 1979-80. So, you know, it's all very well for me to say Friday morning will happen, but, you know, here we are 30 years later, 40 years later, still still not over that League Cup semi-final defeat by Wolves. So, so, you know, it takes a long time. But, yeah, we've, you know, we've, we've it, got it, lots we've, of scars, Vic, haven't we? Yeah, town fans. We've absolutely. Got lots of scars. And I think the longer you support our club and the longer you ride the roller coaster, the, 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 the bumps that come along the way, I think it will give you that perspective. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, it was fascinating to hear what Nick was saying. I mean, I remember that, I think it was Brighton, it was a Saturday, and that was the moment when, you know, you either had a club or the consortium took over. I mean, these are dark times. We saw them again last season. These are better times. You know, these are better times. So whatever happens, these are better times and we should enjoy them. And we relish what we've got at the moment. We look forward rather than backwards, which is always a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Well, look, st- stick with us, Vic. I mean, JJ, bring you back on. It was your question. Has, has that gone some way yeah. to sort of adjusting your mindset, mate? Or have we made you feel even worse? Um, I think it's still a case of confidence. But there was a point, I think, you raised about how you look through the squad and you look at the, the depth for quality. I think you're right. This season's all, almost been a miracle season of, you know, coming from almost nothing to something. But is there not that small hint of underachievement if we don't go all of the way purely looking at the quality, the quality in the squad? Should it really still be League Two? Well, I'll push that over to you, Tyler, to answer because you've, you've got a view on, on the quality of this squad. And, um, you know, I... You know, I, I'm sick of the sound of my own voice for a start, Ty. I mean, you, why don't, why don't you come in and, and give us your thoughts on, on, on quality of depth versus sort of miracle of football? Uh, I think the starting 11 and the first few few subs are, are quite strong and, and definitely above this division. I think Kev told me that Reed is the best player in League 1 and 2. And I wouldn't argue it. I, I love the bloke. Um but after you get past the first 14 or 15, I think you are looking at it a bit like, well, is that a good enough squad to go up? And I think you could argue it, it, it might not be. But on the whole, the fact that we've even got to the playoffs, like you say, is, is impressive, especially considering, I think it was four games before the playoffs and before the, before the season ended. I think we were down in 10th. So... The fact we've got into them it is pretty good going. And either way, it's just been a great season. So, win or lose, we're on the booze if we draw, drink some more, sort of thing. So, yeah, a nice, a, yeah, that's a nice way to summar, summarize. I mean, Joe, do you would would you be? You know, I mean, I'm I'm wholly confident we're going to get the, the the result. But I mean, are you are you indifferent either way, or would you see? Us not clearing that final hurdle as a as a massive underachievement. Um, I think, if I'm honest, in five years' time, looking back, if we don't go through, I think, yeah, good season. Uh, for the next, well, the immediate future, it'll feel like a pure failure. Um, the season's been emotional. I think the whole way through, you think a fairy tale ending is for us to go up. 
and probably I've had my head turned that way probably since October, November last year. Um, it's just, yeah, I think it's written for us to go up. If we don't, it's going to hurt. Well, yeah, okay. So I'm... Um, oh, I, 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 listen, I mean, I've I've seen... I, I used to have a spotless record in the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I started supporting the club um, off the back of success at Sellers Park against Gillingham. I enjoyed Wembley success against Sunderland. I enjoyed Wembley success against Leicester. I genuinely thought I was some kind of lucky omen. And then, obviously... We all know what happened um, against Millwall. We all know what happened against uh, uh, Preston. And I appreciate it wasn't the playoffs, but we all know what happened against Chesterfield. So um, the arches haven't been kind, whereas the Twin Towers were. Um, I've, I, I, I mean, listen, I've got to be honest with you. I, I watched the first sort of 20 minutes of the um, of the playoffs, uh, the, the, the first leg, the uh, second leg between Mansfield and Northampton. And there's nothing there that frightened me at all. And I've got to be honest with you, um, I've seen us play Port Vale now on multiple occasions this season. There is nothing I've seen in Port Vale that frightened me. I think the only thing that makes me remotely nervous going into tomorrow's game is the prospect of us doing a classic Swindon Town and somehow shooting ourselves in the foot. And I think that would possibly come about through... Um, Hannah's, Hannah's just to jump in there, and some yeah. of you've just said there, and, it, and, it, and everyone's just missed this point. No one's really mentioned this. We've gone there and beat them already. Yep. That, when you do that as a player, and you go to a ground where you've won in that season, and you come off the back of beating them at home as well, you've already been to Vale Park, you've already beat them. That gives you that little bit of extra confidence, that little bit of... Umph, as they put it, that we've done this before here, boys. We know how to win here. I've spoke to quite a few Port Vale fans. They're not confident. I had a good chat with Johnny Wilkes on Saturday, Sunday. Johnny came to the game, and all game he was texting me saying, "You're going to beat us." They aren't confident. They're going to beat us. And when their fans are openly saying that, that tells you something as well. Yeah. I think- and, and I've got to say, I'll tell you what's also really interesting, Kev. Talk about confidence. I mean, if they were absolutely rocking and rolling and wholly confident of turning us over over two legs, you would have expected them to have sold out their allocation. And there were a, there were a lot of gaps on the Stratton Bank at the weekend. Um, they could and- they they didn't sell their allocation, um, and I think even they even got to a point of almost giving some tickets away. There was tickets returned to the club. You can see, you can see, even when they scored, you look at some of their fans, they were in, in a state of shock. Um, so it's as much as it, playoff games, and like you mentioned it there, there's lots of playoff games have, have gone, not gone our way and everything else. But the key is we beat them twice. They beat us in the league at home. But look at what that team was compared to what it is now. And on Ty said it a minute ago, on the back of the run we're on as well, the confidence is up. The players that we've got are big game players. McCurdy's a big player. Payne's a big player. And as Ty said, he knows my favourite player is Louis Reed. He's a genius. These guys have got it in them. They're winners. Now, when you take that into a, into a ground where you've already won this season, you've just beat them three days ago. You've got to go in that on the front foot. Yeah. Key, I, I, thing, I, I, key yeah. thing for me is an early goal. Early goal. That's it. I'll take yeah, two goals I, in the first I, I, 10 minutes. Yeah. Go on, Joe. It is. Joe, I think you're right. I think the first 10, 15 minutes are so crucial in this game. 
they are crucial. First goals are, um, I think we're we're fine, and my nerves, my heart rate will go back to normal. I'll be happy. But, um, I can bring a cardiologist. I know one of them. <laughs> you should get me on an ECG during the ninety minutes and just do some medical research. Save it for science. Yeah, leave leave your heart monitors at home, guys. Take your take your smartwatches off. Leave them at home. You're not going to want to look at any of them. We 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 absolutely need to be at the peak of our um cardio 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 powers. <laughs> But I, um, I think, um, I mean, the other thing, the only, the only kind of note of caution, Kev, in relation to what you're saying, yes, we have been there and we've beaten them earlier this season, is that as you, as you know, with playoff games, and 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 as you know, as as we will all recall from five five at the county ground, when the when the tactical um, uh, sort of playbook goes out the window in the last sort of ten fifteen minutes. Playoff games do seem to have the ability to go nuts, particularly when you've got six up front and they're launching bombs into the box. And um, I totally uh, agree with you. But then yeah. it's something I said to you earlier on that I've noticed in the last six games about two players that have shown mental strength very high. So they can throw, bo- throw balls into the box, but when you've got Frenchie and Dion with a confidence they've been playing with... And a good partnership. And as you said earlier, football's about partnerships and relationships on the pitch. Them two in the last six games have looked awesome. If you go back to when Richie took us up, there's a big reason is them two had a great partnership. Dion needs a a massive shout-out, doesn't it, season? I think both of them do. Dion and Frenchie are back together. And this is going to be Frenchie's last season. It's just literally, I think they've been awesome. Um, You've got to credit... Hannah's, I'm going to say goodnight. Um, I'll leave you to the uh, great debate. God bless you, Nick. It's been fantastic having you with us. And thanks for hanging around and fielding a couple of questions. No, great Nick. pleasure. And uh, I've got an early start tomorrow. So stay well. Good luck tomorrow night, guys. And uh, good luck at Wembley. Great Nick, I'll speak to you soon Thank as you, well, Nick. Nick. Okay, look forward to it. All the best, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ta-da now. Well, I mean, listen, I've, I mean, the, the, I mean, you look, Kev, we spoke about this um, off mic earlier in the day. I think um, one of the things, it's certainly a big topic of conversation going into the um, game tomorrow because, um, you know, people are continuing to obviously, you know, talk up Jojo Woolacott and rightly so because Jojo's been outstanding pretty much all season. Um supposedly had picked up an injury, which meant that he wasn't obviously, um, you know, he, he lost his place to Lewis Ward. Wardy's come in. But uh, it just, for me, their form, both Frenchy and Dion, their form has gone through the roof with an absolute giant behind them that seems to be playing to the brief of come for every single high ball in the box. and well, attack hey, it. And Well, you know yourself, you've got a mutual friend who's a very... Was a half decent goalkeeper, and the first thing he always said was always when we talk about the past of Swindon Town is two centre backs in front of him. You have two good centre backs in front of him, and a keeper is like a triangle. That's a foundation, and yeah, yeah, I agree. I think there's been that foundation between the three of them that's made us look look more solid than we have in a long time. Yeah. Well, just at this point, I'll just continually put the reminder out there, guys. This um, tonight, we're we're encouraging as much interaction with you all as possible. So you don't necessarily have to have a um, a question, but if you've got any any nerves, any thoughts, any reflections, any anxieties that you want to try and put the rest before you hit the sack tonight, 
please do hit that speaker request button as JJ has done and uh, and join us for a good chinwag tonight. Um, go, going back to, to Lewis Ward, Tyler, I'll, I'll put this back to you. And, uh, you know, because you and I debate this all the time, well, certainly we have the last few weeks. It's, it's got to be Lewis Ward starting tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah, anyone else, and I'm, I'm not having it. Wardy has been sublime since he's come in. It's five wins from five since he, he came back into the team. And I think you can tell, as, as much as his kicking probably isn't as good as JoJo's is, the way he commands the box in, in terms of coming for the ball and, and, and grabbing the ball from, from high crosses, it, it gives them more confidence. And I think you can see that with the way Frenchie and Dion have been playing. And and so I think it's it's got to be Lewis and his his massive lanky arms. Hey Ty, would you have said that before the African Nations tournament? Uh, probably not. No, because Jojo was on on pretty decent form heading into that. But then since he's come back, I, I think everyone's sort of seen that he has been a bit a bit shaky. Whether that's playing at the tournament that's sort of gone to his head similar to Yasser Kasim and, and, and sort of Luongo or or what it is if it's just a poor run of form I think I think Wardy deserves it I, I mean listen I'd, I'd pitch in at this stage I mean from, from my point of view um, I mean I said this earlier in the season I, I, I thought Wardy was very very hard done by when he lost his place after the Rochdale game at, at the county ground um, he was very harshly judged on their goal um, and I mean, the kind of goal that he conceded was akin to the sort of goal that we conceded at the weekend where you, you look at it, if, if you're not looking at that from a goalkeeper, a goalkeeping coaching point of view, you know, you it's easy to point a finger at the keeper, particularly if you've got a keeper of the quality of Jojo breathing down his neck to get back into the side. That's, that's the first thing. I I personally think if you, and this is coming from an ex, ex-goalkeeper, if you've got two good goalkeepers on the books and you've got a goalkeeper that puts in the kind of performance that he did against Forest Green and a respectable performance um, against Rochdale, me personally, I would have kept Lewis Ward in. And I would like to have seen Lewis Ward more involved this season when um, Jojo has dropped the odd rick. And Hannes, can I jump in there? Just, yeah. just something from experience. Um, yeah. When a player plays every week in, week out, what fans don't see is how they've trained as well and that's a big big thing for a manager and coaching team to look at how they've trained and they've come out come off a half decent game an average game a great game but you've got to people fans have got to take into consideration a lot of the time you don't see what's going on at training how they've reacted to different situations little niggles here and there um, little injuries uh, and how that's played especially goalkeepers a little injury here and there during the week how they've trained affects a lot what goes on so I, I get you about like games sometimes players remember games and stuff like that of how they played it's also that week the next week at, in training how things have reacted and I think sometimes as fans we forget that and we forget it's not just game by game it's also what goes on during the week as well it has a big impact about who plays the next week yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I, I, I do get you. I do get you, Kev. I think, listen, from a lot of this depends on characters and 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 whether your your player is a confidence player or whatnot. I mean, for me personally, I've never been a fan of a manager putting his arm around a goalkeeper and saying, "You are my number one," because I just don't think it's it's healthy for competition between keepers. I I want both those keepers pushing for that shirt 
both of them feeling that they are the number one and they've got a point to prove because I just think that's really healthy. But the I'm flip side of that, that is goalkeepers are all mad anyway. So well, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, there is that. There is that. But I think there is a there is something to be something to be said for you know. Um, I, I mean, I, I've ne- I've never sat down and had a conversation with either Jojo or um, uh, Wardy, so it's difficult to kind of know where their where their heads are at. But what what I would say is that um, if you look at sort of Wardy's performances over the last sort of like you know three four games, I think I mean he's 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 delivering what I would expect a guy to deliver that has been sort of at the gauntlet thrown down at him. Really, look, the shirt is yours to lose. You know, he's he's shown absolutely no fear. He's commanding his box. You know, he's he's bossing his defenders. Um, and that confidence appears to have just flooded through the team as well. And and just to stress, this is not a JoJo bashing session from me. Either. No, no, I, I get you. Right? I, I, I tend to agree with you, and I agree with Tyler and, and Joe as well. But I'll flip another question to everybody: Is uh, what do people think our biggest weakness is tomorrow? And you know what my personal opinion of that is. It'd be just interesting to hear from Vic, Andrew's on as well. Anyone else? If, what do they think is our biggest weakness tomorrow? Well, I think what we'll do. We'll, tr- we'll bring um, off the gas. You, you reckon that's what it is, Jojo? Complacency. I think. I think if we go there, we grab an early goal. I think you can imagine the noise that's going to create the positive reaction from the players. I think. I think our biggest downfall tomorrow will not be doing what we did at Walsall and go for more. I think at three-one on aggregate, I don't think we should sit back, go get two or three, kill it, kill the game off. I don't think we know any other way. Well, I think we look at games like Exeter at home, won the luck, we sat back, we lost 2-1. I think that's the easiest one to point out to. That's a massive three points thrown away. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, JJ, on, on that. So I've I've got a very, very clear view on some of those performances earlier in the season where we, we got caught out, where there were all yeah. those silly individual error and things like that. And yeah. I, I think what you've seen unfold in front of you this season has been a team that's been on a journey. And yeah. a team that has been trying to perfect a style of play, and and a team that, I mean, I I don't want to just keep repeating myself, but I think you know the fact that we've got a goalkeeper now, and we've got two centre backs now who have, have are not overplaying. They're still yeah. playing that kind of you know sort of pragmatic football. But I don't know if you've noticed JJ, or if you've got an opinion on it. But at times when they need to bang it, they are just they are banging it. And maybe it was there was a bit too much of that. At, uh, on Sunday, there was a little bit too much, and we gave we gave Port Vale an invitation to come onto us a bit in the second half. But I think I genuinely believe that there has been an unfolding of um, of, a, of a of a plan, a master plan that Garner's got. And at times, things have been forced on him in terms of tactical changes. But they, yeah. he's made those changes, and he's he's run with them. They've paid dividends, and we talked a lot of, when, when Nick was on earlier about leadership. And, yeah. and you know, having characteristics to, um, you know, you, you you still need to be humble. Nick mentioned the sort of you know the ten characteristics of being a leader, but yeah. I, th- I think Garner's demonstrated that. I think um, I'll tell you what we do, Jojo Malcolm. If you, if you could unmute yourself, mate, because you joined us on the speaker list, and I'm really as somebody that's been at a lot of games, Malcolm, this season, I'm really keen to get your 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 input on this part. So, all you need to do, if you can, is unmute your speaker. Give you a couple of seconds. Hello, Hello. Good evening. How are you, buddy? I'm all right. How is everybody? Okay. 
Well, we've, it seems like we've got a mixed bunch, Malcolm, tonight. We've had, we've had the dulcet tones of Nick Watkins kind of soothing our nerves and taking us, taking, us, taking us back to sort of previous glory days, but then reminding us of just how awful it feels when we don't do well in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. um, we've got a mixture of nerves amongst the younger contingent. We've got Vic that's, you know, very reflective and um, probably more akin to where my head's at. We've, we've got Kev, who's absolutely sort of pumped and, and nailing it. But where are you at? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'd say quietly confident. Um, this is my ninth playoff campaign. So I've been through all of them, um, the highs and the lows. So it's kind of just, you know, I've been there, seen it and done it, but it does feel a little bit more different now. And I don't know that is like you said, it might be with age. Um, you kind of just ground yourself a little bit, but yeah, quietly confident. I think that we're, our away record's good, so, you know, why not? we just got to go there and, like Vic said, just enjoy ourselves and what will be, will be. <laughs> now, what what was your vantage point on Saturday, Malcolm? <laughs> Saturday? Um, Sunday, was, rather, stand. sorry. What was, was your in, vantage point on Sunday? I was in the stand on Sunday, so... Were, were you now? Yes. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a shame. I was hoping you were going to shed some light on some antics of the of the first half, but 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 clearly not. And for those that know, you know. And for those that don't know, you don't know. So don't worry about it. We'll, we'll move on. Um. So what, what's um? I mean, I don't want to kind of just do the cliche and slip into um into uh, predictions, Malcolm, but. Were you? Are, are you of an opinion that we've got to come flying out the traps, or are you of an opinion that we've got to try and protect what we've got? Where's your head at? Um, yeah, I think we've got to be wary not to not to concede early, because um, then that will put everyone on nerves. I think if the fans are nervous, then I think then we'll all be a bit. That might generate to the players, but um, I think they're they're at the mindset where they they've just got to, they'll just go out and play their game and. I think we've just got to be confident and that's gonna that's gonna work. I mean they're good away. Um just it's a hard one. Maybe I just gotta see the first twenty minutes out, see how Vale are and then try and hit them on the break if they have to, or you know, if, if they the first twenty minutes is still nil nil, I think then the the nerves might set in for them a little bit as well. So Who's who's key man for you tomorrow, Malcolm? Who do, do, is is there key man or men that you think are gonna be critical for us tomorrow? Um, yeah, probably just the usual ones. Um, I think McCurdy's gonna love it, isn't he? Because they hate him, so they're um they've 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 been out in the they're out, they've been out to get him the whole time, haven't they? So um, and uh, Reed, yeah, just the, probably just the usual ones that everyone else says, really. Mm. I think Ben Garner's got the most important job. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that more than any comment. Garner Ball is, is needed. Ben is a strong character. You don't understand how strong a character he is. Yeah. He really, really is. He, and, and as much as Ben doesn't have nothing on social media and everything else, he did see comments, what people were writing about him during oh, yeah. the season. And he knew what people were saying. But it has no effect on him. He'll play, yeah. like, like Hannah said a minute ago, he wants to play a certain way. And he's determined to do that. Um, and a hundred percent say he is the most important person tomorrow. 
Well, we'll try and we'll, we'll try and bring another um, another guest on, Alex. If you can unmute your speaker, um, it'd be brilliant to um, in, inject your input into tonight, buddy. How are you feeling ahead of uh, tomorrow's big game? Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. Um, <laughs> apprehensive, I think everyone is. Um, excited. Um, obviously, obviously, I can't say very much, but I've been privy to a bit of training this week. Um, the lads look good and sharp. I think I think we've got the beating of them personally. I'm just worried that they're going to rough us up and try and get reactions out of the likes of Harry um, and some of our players who could potentially lose their heads. I think that's where I'm at with it. Yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting point, actually, Alex, because I, I, I mentioned before, I think I may have mentioned this in this sort of phoning section of the show, but... Um, I know we certainly talked about it with Nick Watkins earlier when we talked about the impact of the dark arts on the class of 2010. And I think I'm of a similar opinion to you. You know, there's there's been, I'm hoping that there's been a few boys that have learned lessons from earlier in the season. I know um, I've spoken to uh, Reedy um, about, um, obviously, his, the circumstances around his sending off purely in passing. And and he mentioned that he replied to that as that being a, a, a learning a learning curve for him. Obviously, similar circumstances. Dion got a very silly red earlier in the season. You know, Harry's Harry's prone to a yellow card and getting in the ear of referees. And I, I think if we get a referee that doesn't understand Harry McCurdy, um, then I think it's going to be very easy for a referee to start flashing the cards tomorrow when mm-hmm. the temperature when the temperature rises. I genuinely believe that. That is, you've you've hit the nail on the head in terms of that's the one thing that I fear about going to Val Park tomorrow. That we're going to be. I mentioned to um, Joe, who will be able to confirm this in a conversation we had off mic earlier today, that if we're thirty minutes into the game, I just dread, you know, that someone that's already on a yellow that's picked up early in the game goes in for a bit of a tackle, and we've got a, you know, we, you know, we're down to ten men, and then we're literally chewing our nails for you know, the best part of 60 minutes. But as I say, the, the, the counter to that will be that, it, again, it's going to come down to Ghana being able to get into their heads and say to them, you know, keep their sense of perspective, make sure that they're prepared for all of that nonsense and, and just literally get on the ball, stick to the game plan, you know, d- dictate play. Um, because if we've got the ball at our feet, we haven't got to worry about silly tackles. Um, you know, we can keep the ball forever this side. And on that pitch, if we can't keep the ball on that pitch, then we might as well go home. Well, I think that's why, sorry to interrupt, I think that's why Ghana has the most important job, like you said, because he has to paint the picture of if we win tomorrow, there's obviously the final to play. And, you know, who do you prioritise keeping fit, not getting suspended for the final? I think there's so many factors to it. It's not just about winning tomorrow. I mean, we we can take a nil-nil, but if we get three injuries, then, you know, how how, how much will that hurt us? Yeah, and and again to hark back to what Nick was saying about you know 2010, you know losing Gordon Greer and going to Wembley was was a devastating blow. Losing a a, a Louis Reed or losing a Harry McCurdy or um, you know losing a Lewis Ward, you know that would be uh, obviously that would be major. But I mean again, like we, I, I don't wish to sort of dwell on the negatives, but because I'm literally it feels like I'm sort of. You know, I really do feel like I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel here to find any optimism for Vale to feed off of. Um, I, I don't think, man, I mean, man for man, there is literally nobody that worries me. They've got one one big name, really, that people would recognise in their in their lineup in James Wilson, who's obviously notched on Sunday. 
um, and has got great pedigree. Um, but having said that, you know, they're all they're, they're almost like the sum of their parts, aren't they, Port Vale? Um, there is nothing about Vale that I, th- I think should have us kind of like, you know, quaking at the knees. I mean, Vic, I'll, I'll bring you back in if, if, if I may at this point. What's, um, what did you make of Vale on Sunday? Is there anything that you saw that caused you any concern? Well, the only the thing that caused me most concern was the physical side of their game. And, you know, they were kicking Johnny Williams to high heaven, weren't they? And he, you know, he suffered quite a lot on Sunday. So it's that side of the game. In terms of footballing, we're we're well ahead of them. And we proved at Vale Park here in the season that, you know, we had the measure of them and, and played very well that day, albeit helped by the sending off of the goalkeeper for uh, taking out Harry McCurdy. Uh, in terms of football, I have no concerns. It's just... You mentioned the dark arts. We talked about it with Steve White on Monday, you know, about the dark arts in terms of footballing. You know, they know what to do. And the referee really on Sunday didn't control that early on, did he? So that's the one thing that concerns me, really. But uh, it's been mentioned before, that pitch suits Swindon, doesn't it? That really is their pitch, Vale Park. So... I'm going to leave you in a minute because I've got a very long day from Devon to Staffordshire tomorrow. <laughs> but um, but uh, what I would say is, you know, let's just go there, enjoy the experience. There'll be 2,200 of us. We're going to enjoy the day. And come on, you Reds, let's get through and get into that final because that's what we all dearly want, isn't it? Exactly. Oh, yet more sage words from somebody that is... The legend of it, The legend of it, <laughs> if you lot can't feed off of that, then you can't feed off of anything. We might as well give up and go home. But thanks ever so much, Vic. It's been brilliant to have you on again. Well, good night, everybody. Just enjoy the day. That's all I can say. <laughs> we will. I'll do. join Vic sure. as well, by the way, because I've got to get up at 6.30 with a two-year-old before <laughs> I even think about going to Port Vale. So I'll see everyone <laughs> there at Port Vale. And if you do see me, drinks are on me. Well, that's two thousand two hundred drinks then. Very good. Yeah, that, yeah. That's all. That's okay. It'll be charged to Clem. Don't it? <laughs> hey, Vic. Listen, if, if Kevin's got the money to sponsor the Sunday hey. Broadbent Lounge, he's got the money to buy us all a beer. So don't worry about that. Looking forward to it greatly. Come and see me tomorrow. The beers are there. But good night, everyone. See you guys. Good night, guys. Good night. So I'll um I'll, I'll bring uh we we we'll bring Nathan on at this stage. Nathan, good evening. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Hannahs. Uh, great show as always. Uh, oh. Very much enjoyed listening to Nick's wisdom. Some great stories in there. But um... you're, you're only buttering me up because you want me to drive your car up to Val tomorrow. <laughs> Don't come on here and try your dark arts, pal. I know what your game is. Uh, you see right through me. Yeah, well, yeah, quite clearly. Um, where, where, where's your head at, uh, Nathan? You've obviously taken on a, a range of views tonight. What's um? Where, where's your head at? You were obviously a little apprehensive when we spoke earlier, or we uh, conversed on uh, WhatsApp earlier on the day. Are you feeling any better? I'm feeling quite calm actually. Um, I think listening to this has kind of has set my head a bit. Um, I, I I I agree. I think the, the first I can't remember who said it. The first kind of fifteen minutes I think are going to be crucial. Um, I think the Vale fans are going to be very very loud. Um, and it's a big day for that. As much as this sounds really patronising, it's a very big day for them. Um, I don't think they get this kind of crowd that often and they're going to be up for it. And I think we are going to have to weather a storm. Um, so it's really how we deal with that. And, you know, as much as it would be nice to see us come flying out the traps, I think we're going to need to slow the game down. I think we're going to need to use the big pitch, keep the ball 
um, get Johnny Williams to do his little falls to the floor, just stop the game. And we're going to need to do that, suck the life out of them and then hit them where it hurts. And I think if we can, if we can just see out 15, 20 minutes, just slow the game down when we can, frustrate them, get in their heads and then hit them. I think it potentially, it won't be, it could be, we could win by three or four goals because we are that kind of team. But this is Swindon and we don't do it like that. So, well, look, Nathan, I'll tell you what, I've, I've been having this weird, I had the weirdest dream last night, right? The weirdest dream. Now, we've obviously been talking about, you know, you know, impact of McCurdy and all the rest of it. Now, I'm going to turn our attention to the bench at this stage because last night I had a dream that a certain Mr. Jaden Mitchell Lawson came off the bench and finally came good for us. Um, but I don't necessarily want to focus on young Jaden, but. I do want to have a little kind of conversation and, and, and a look across the bench at tactical options in a range of scenarios. So, um, I mean, obviously, at the, at the weekend, we bought on Akin Odemayo and we bought on Ben Gladwin and then we conceded very quickly thereafter. And I think it would be very easy to point, point fingers and say, oh, that was the impact of the sub at that stage. I don't think that's necessarily the case. But, mm. I mean, I'll put this... Let's put this to you, Joe... Is there? Um, do you think that potentially we've got any aces up our sleeve um, on the bench that you can see having an impact tomorrow? With rose-tinted glasses, I can't tell you how much I'd love Harry Parsons to come on and score a 90th-minute equaliser and put us through an aggregate. I can tell you right now that Claire Follett is sat there with the biggest smile on her face as arguably Harry Parsons' biggest fan. But I <laughs> likewise, I, isn't, isn't it just made for him? That you know, is, everyone, we are all just gagging for Harry to get off the save bench for his first goal. Wouldn't save that be special, JJ? Wouldn't that be special if he comes off the bench tomorrow and does something super special and sends us sends us to the the, the gleaming arch? Yeah, I think absolutely, and I think building on your point about an ace, I think a Mister Ben Gladwin has to come to mind. I think in the game not tomorrow. I think we're all expecting you know to weather the storm, like Nathan said, all that. I think Gladwin, I think his ability to slow down the game, a big pitch, I think I think he could be someone that can come on and really cause problems for Port Vale. Yeah, and, and on, definitely on that pitch. I mean, I think there are a couple of things about Gladwin that I think he's potentially the ace up our sleeve tomorrow. One is he's got the space to ping those absolutely delicious diagonal passes. And when him and Dion are on their game, it's like having two quarterbacks on the pitch, which is super special. I think the other thing as well is, um, you know, he will find gaps to get shots off. And and if there's one thing that Ben Gladwin has definitely got, whilst he, he you know, I mean... He's that, he's got that language style. He's 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 quicker than most people think, but because of his style, you kind of get the impression that he's he's slow. But the thing about Gladwin is he finds a pocket of space that guy can hit the target. And I think if he's um I mean you never know. Obviously we we all know that Johnny Williams took a battering at the weekend. Yeah. If Gladwin is is given the nod uh, to start, again, I would I would urge the crowds to not, you know, because there have been sections of the fan base that have got on his back this season, but I would urge the crowd yeah, yeah. I would urge the crowd to get behind Ben Gladwin because if if that's that's the kind of game where you would hope he would be inspired to find the Ben Gladwin of old. Well, I, I think I, you know I can't help but think JJ that yeah he's got a thirty yarder in his in you know in, in his arsenal. I hope we see it tomorrow. Well, I think and I think most people agree. With me. I think Ben Gladwin's best performance in the Swindon shirt this season was away to Port Vale. I think he mm-hmm. literally demonstrated every quality he just picked up there. I think. He turned up there and everything he touched was just forward thinking, was positive, I think. 
Yeah, I completely agree, Alex. I'll, I'll bring you back in at this stage. What's um, what, what's your views on Gladders? Would you would you be tempted to start him tomorrow? I, I've got I've got two views. I don't I don't see us why we should change the team, but also my 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 view is I think. Look, we've all seen us play away and how good we are. Why don't we just play that way and 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 go with it? We know we're good. We know we're good away. We're beating Port Vale away. Go with that mindset. You know, we're all oh, we know we should just take it easy for a little while and just you know, why why not just play how we play? Just be Swindon, be Swindon away, and and we'll win surely. Mm. Am I being overconfident? <laughs> I don't know, but we're good away. We know we're good away. Let's just go there and win the game. I, th- I think, no, Alex, I think... It, I'm going to put a little twist on what you just said there, Alex. And it ties into what I said right at the start of this segment of the show. We're not, we're not just, we don't just know that we're good away. Actually, these boys know that they are good. And, and, and the one thing that yeah. struck me when we did the awards uh, show um, in the kit room was, um, there, was um, there was a moment where um, Harry McCurdy chastised young Ty for um, sort of saying that I don't fancy Rovers over two legs. And there was just this, there was this blunt honesty about what Harry said that was just reflected across the room. And a lot of those boys off mic um, spoke to spoke to us all, and it it, re- it just really struck me how they were saying, like genuinely, there is nobody in the playoffs that we fear. Like to a man, they were all saying, like we 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 know that we're the best side in this division, and some I've of the been... inconsistency has baffled us. But we know that we're the best team in this division. I've been very fortunate to be able to watch us train on occasions. And obviously, you know, I don't, I, I can't give too much away and stuff, but some of them players, what you watch them in training and they are way, way, way above our level in terms of league two, not as in terms of swimming town, but in terms of league two, obviously, you know, it doesn't always transition to a, to a game and to whatever, but you know, without actually saying names, you look at some of them in training, you just think, wow, like, how have we actually got you as players? And so, you know, what, what McCurdy's saying there, I absolutely agree with, 100%. Yeah, well, I, I, I've also got, I mean, we've not mentioned him once, which kind of shocks me, but the, the game tomorrow is tailor, tailor made for a certain Mr. Jack Payne. Um, because the one thing that, um, obviously, we've we've seen from Payne is a willingness to shoot from distance now. and And again, one of the things that, you can see is 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 a frustration is how quickly he gets closed down. But I mean, again, if if that if he gets the space, opens up on the edge of that eighteen yard box, um, he's going to hit the target, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. I I am I am wholly wholly convinced that um, tomorrow is going to be um, it, it's it's going to be just a huge opportunity for Payne to put in his you know his. He's like a crowning performance of his season so far. And he's, I mean, he's had a cracking season. When you consider he's battled back from a really serious injury as well, which, you know, forced him out of the City game and, and a prolonged absence. You know, there was, oh, he'll be back next week. And then he wasn't. Oh, he'll be back next week. And then he wasn't. And now he's in his back. I mean, he just looks so sharp at the moment. And and the amount of ground that he's covering as well. I mean, all the midfielder are putting in the yards, but Payne's really putting it in. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you've seen that in training, Alex, from Payne as well. Payne's unbelievable. He's one. He's you know he's one of my favourite players. I think I think Louis Reed. We all know he's you know he's, he's a class above League Two. There's, there's a lot of them in the team. Are you can't really sort of signal single any of them out. Um, just on a brighter note, it was quite nice to see Jordan Lydon today. Um, 
actually walking around. So there's a positive for you all. Um, I really like Jordan. I think he's a great lad. Shame he's had such a bad luck with injuries, but um, I think he'd be a great lad to keep around the club, whether that will you know, happen or not, we don't know. But it'll be really nice if we could keep him, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I've, I've got I've got faith in this in you know in this medical department, given everyone, given the way everybody talks so highly of them, and and given the um, you know the performances in particular that we've seen from the likes of Frenchy, um, having come back from injury and and find the form that he has, that you know we, I think everyone sort of everyone knows what Jordan's capable of. I think everybody knows on his day. He's arguably the best midfielder at the club, but certainly one of the best midfielders at the club. So yeah, fully fit. Jordan I think you're. I think you've hit the nail in the head there with the with the you know with the medical staff with Ricky and George coming in. You look at Frenchy as an absolute standout there as to how good he's been once he's. They've got him fit. They've got him looking like the player we always knew he could be. Yeah. Um, and you know his performances for the last six twelve games for me have been absolutely outstanding. Mm. Well, I think Dion's another one. This would be Dion's first season in the Sunderland show where he's played a full season, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, JJ, I mean, that, that, that touches on a very, very interesting point about Dion because obviously he went through a very, very difficult period where, I mean, he was getting absolute pelters from the stands. I mean, certainly from my vantage point in the town then, yeah. um, you know, there was a, you know, I've, I've, I even exchanged, um, you know, uh, words with... Um, uh, you know, with a couple of fans in the town end who were just, you know, mercilessly ribbing him. Like, you know, when, when you know, you've seen a stray pass or you could see that his confidence was low. And I think he was, I think in the end, the, the narrative that came out was kind of in line with what you're saying there, that, you know, we've got, we've got a, a, a lad here who, you know, he's battled back from several serious, serious injuries. And this yes. is kind of like almost like the first season where he has played a full season and that's taken that in itself takes a toll on his body. It's almost like his body is not not almost not ready to play a full season, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think we've seen I think we've seen a number of things. I think it's a, I think this style of football suits Dion the best as a player. I think he wants the ball at the back, he wants to break the line, he wants to move forward. And I think that confidence of I think he trusts his body a little bit more. I think it sounds a bit stupid, but you could see almost as a fan, you could see that lunge in him, you know, that extra bit of fight in him. I think you look at the goal against Oldham, he's absolutely chucked himself at the ball. I think he trusts himself a bit more as a player. And I think although mistakes are still there, it happens from everyone. I think it's really shown in, I think him and Baldry together have been absolutely phenomenal. And I think well, that's been a big part of it. I'll tell you what, JJ, what's, what's really interesting there is that um, I listened with real interest to what Ali Willits had to say uh, on the sofa uh, a week Monday. And, um, you know, she, she used the words that I've never heard used before about neurological issues, um, as though there are certain players that, you know, it's almost like a combination of her and Ben Garner have been in, encouraging players to almost like kind of challenge what their brain is telling them, as in, players that have got injury histories like you know do you actually need me to come on here and give you treatment you know do you actually need to start thinking about coming off at this stage is this something you can actually push through and I I, I can't help but think that you know the likes of Dion the likes of Frenchie um you know the likes of Johnny Williams have, have have actually sort of like pushed through maybe some of their own mental boundaries in terms of what their body's capable of doing yeah and I think it's a big part of our season I think that mental toughness I think it's something that can only make you stronger. And I think, you know, a couple of people have highlighted the last seven, eight games, despite a few losses in there, we've seen that dark side to our game. I think that all stems from, you know, not, you know, not bringing on the physio every time a player goes down. I think 
you know, just back to what I said, back to what you said, I think the trust in yourself, challenging yourself, pushing yourself, it all adds up to different things. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Lads, well, look, I'm going um, to sign off, but I just want to, um, I just want to basically say, I think, you know, Steve Cooper for Forrest last night hit the nail on the head with his thing. You know, it's a team effort. It's, you know, he's the forefront of it, but he's got a massive team. And I think, I think Ben Garner's done a terrific job. Some fans sort of two or three home games ago started giving him a little bit of uh, aggro. Um, but him with Scott Lindsay, Scott Marshall, Ricky and George in the backroom staff, like you say, Ali, it's a collective team effort. And I think, you know, you know, we can go as far as up to Clem and whatever. But I think, you know, just as a first team coaching staff, Mildy, all of them guys, I think that that's what makes a team, you know, team of management that can get a team playing like that and, and you know, like you say about Dion and, and French and stuff like that, when they've got people around them like that, they want to play. They want to get through these injuries. They don't want to come off. They want to play for these people. And I think that's a massive part of it. So I think a massive congratulations to all of the backroom staff. Hopefully we'll win tomorrow. We'll go on to Wembley. We'll be promoted. If we don't, we still had an unbelievable season in my eyes. Amen, Alex. I completely agree. And I made that very, very point at the start of this segment of the show, mate. I think you've absolutely nailed it. Um, Alex, you've been um, you've been a breath of fresh air. It's been lovely to hear from you, mate. Thanks ever so much for coming on. I'll see you all at Port Vale tomorrow. Yeah, you will. Come on, you Reds. <laughs> <laughs> no, Cheers. Thanks. No, you're very welcome, Alex. Nathan, I'll bring you in at this point because um, Alex has just touched on a, on a game that obviously we all watched last night. And... Um, we all enjoyed a pitch invasion, didn't we, at um, at Warsaw, uh, allegedly. Um, but there were obviously some, there were some unsavoury scenes um, on the on the pitch last night that kind of um, gives us gives us all a little bit of a um, a little bit of a kind of uh, shot across the bowels tomorrow. Um, but yeah, Nathan, I'm really keen to to, to get your your view on whether <laughs> on. Um, on on the on a likely um, entering of the playing fit, uh, playing surface from either set of fans tomorrow. I mean, off the back of what you saw last night, in particular the the uh, I mean, we can't go into it in great detail because it's now a police investigation. We don't want to get ourselves in any legal trouble. Um, but obviously, there was a, an incident involving the um, Sheffield United captain Billy Sharp on the touchline. Um, is this is this? a wake-up call um, for all Swindon Town fans ahead of uh, the game tomorrow night, given what happened um, in the game on TV yesterday? I, I hope so. I, I don't think that Swindon fans are the type. I know I've, I've kind of complained about some of our fans this season and um, I don't think we're the type to do what, you know, what may have happened just, well, I won't say may, it did happen, what happened yesterday. Um, but what, what I think will happen now is this is, I think a lot of people have been waiting for something like that, waiting for something bad to happen to kind of really crunch down on how supporters have been behaving recently. And I think it all kind of kicked off, um, with England at Wembley last year, like yeah. everything that happened before the game. Um, there's been a, like a whole bunch of incidents with like pyros and things being thrown, um, I feel like a crackdown in general is coming. I don't know what it's going to include, but just listening to talk sport this morning, like you could, it's like you could feel like some people have just been waiting for this to happen so they can just crack down on fans again. And it's, it's really unfortunate because I feel like, I think most of the kind of pitch invasions that have been happening have generally been okay. I think there was a Luton fan that got um, injured by a coin, but 
yeah, I, I feel I, I think it's a wake up call to everyone. And, and my my fear is that if Vale win and run on the pitch, like if I was Harry McCurdy, I would be running because they are they are seething with him. Like they want his blood. So mm. that would be that's probably my biggest concern would be Harry McCurdy if uh, if Vale fans run on. But no, I've got yeah. I've got faith in Swindon fans. I think I think we'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, yes, and likewise. Um, I, I think I, I like to think our, our our supporters know, you know, where the where the line lives. But I, I do think I, I I tend to agree with you in terms of the authorities taking a, a good hard look at um, you know at, at at people entering the playing space. And and all I would say is, you know, to anyone that's contemplating it tomorrow, just you know, you you know, for a start, I wouldn't recommend it. Because I just think that potentially there are examples to be made of people entering the entering the playing field, and some of the unsavoury things that I've seen bouncing around social media, and you know, fans trading insults, etc. I think we're in a really interesting era where there are axes that are being ground on social media, and certain things being stoked up. And I just think that. You would probably look just just do yourself the the service of of, of just staying like just stay well away from it, um, and I don't mean to say that to be a killjoy because we want to go and we want to be able to celebrate, we want to be able to enjoy ourselves, um, but equally there are fans that are in the stand that want to also kind of you know enjoy our our players coming over and and celebrating with us and enjoying it with us, and if if everyone just floods onto the playing surface, that just simply isn't going to happen. Um, so yeah, bear that in mind. Um, and obviously if the result doesn't go away tomorrow and they all choose to flood on the pitch, then, you know, again, you know, take it on the chin. You know, we had this against Brentford. Um, you know, unfortunately it's, it's the ups and downs of the game. And, um, as Alex said, I think the one thing that I will say is that if things don't go the way we want tomorrow and we are facing, uh, you know, a horde of Port Vale fans standing in front of the, the stand goading us. Just have the satisfaction of knowing that our club is back and we are very much on the up. There's a wonderful momentum around the place. And if we aren't going to do it this season, um, we will. I have no doubt we will do it next season. And I've got the, the benefit of seeing this under Glenn Hoddle in you know the 92 season where we were kind of almost there but not quite and we had to say goodbye to a certain Duncan Shearer. The following season, with the reinforcements that bought, were bought in, we took it forward another notch and we managed to get there. So just just steal yourself that we have enough ability in and around our squad and our team that if it's not this year, enjoy what we've achieved this year and know it's going to be bigger and better next year. And I'm not just saying that either. I'm saying that off the back of a bloke that's gone and dropped quite a significant amount of cash on a, on a you know a bunch of season tickets for his family today. I really do believe what I'm what I'm what I'm saying. Um, well, I think listen, I think we've kind of come to a bit of an organic end. Although I want to desperately get Chris on. So hello, Chris. Are you on, mate? Can you unmute your mic and say good evening? Your wonderful accent. I am here. Yeah. No, come on, that's not good enough. We need a longer line than that. I want everyone to hear the wonder that is Chris's accent. Uh, I'm very nervous, still. But, Are uh, you, Chris? Are you uh, really yeah, nervous? Despite everything we've done, we've rubbed the balm into the into, into the show, so we've rubbed it in, but you're still feeling the nerves. I think it's feeling nerves because I've just watched basically all the other um, playoffs, and uh, it's a long wait, even though I've probably actually got one of the shortest journeys there. 
Oh, God almighty. Yeah. Well, I feel that. I'll be honest with you, Chris. I think I, I said earlier, and I don't mean to repeat myself, but whilst I'm feeling really pragmatic and confident and, you know, I've got full faith in the boys, that by the time I hear the clack of the of the turnstile going into the ground tomorrow, I'll, I'll certainly be nervous because then it's... But I'm hoping it's more about... It's it's that nervous anticipation rather than nerves because I don't, I don't think we've got it in us. Um do you, I mean, is there, do you think, we talked about team lineups, we talked about the goalkeeping position, we talked about options off the bench, Chris. Are there, is there anything left field that is, is concerning you ahead of the game tomorrow? The, the only concern I have is, or the thing I really don't want to see is, is a silly mistake from passing around at the back. Because there was nearly one on, on Sunday, but we got away with it. But I'm just, that's the only worry I have, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I think it's inherent, isn't it, in our system that, there's always going to be a chance of that that happening, and if if they're and they will press us and they will press us hard tomorrow, that much is for sure. I think I'll be honest with you, Chris. I'm more nervous about that happening in the latter stages, when you know if we are, you know, if we let's say we've got a two goal lead or we're still defending that one goal lead, you know, when they they decide to go full Sheffield United at the county ground on us and throw six up top and just are launching bombs into the box and causing all kinds of havoc. I think that's. That's my only concern. Is is our house um, with our three little pigs inside it built from brick or is it built from straw? Um, and will it withstand that kind of battering? I mean, I don't think we've had... We've had some stern tests this year when we've been defending Leeds. I think Barrow and, and, and I think Forest Green as recent examples. But we, we certainly haven't had a test where it's like a playoff last 10-minute test where they are just going hell for leather at us. That that would be my only concern. But I'm hoping, and I think it was Joe that said this, I'm hoping we come out of the traps, get ourselves a goal or two, get ourselves settled down. And, and, and then for me, it's about just keeping on the ball and dictating play. And if they're messing about a bit at the back in those circumstances, I'll be more than happy. I, I actually think this game might have uh, be the perfect scenario for Louis Barry. Mm. If, they, if they're pushing up and they're giving us the space and that bigger pitch... A lot of teams have been doubling up on him, and yep. uh, if he just plays plays inside, if they're taking him, it's given so much more space for Payne coming through, for Williams coming through. I have to agree. I think Barry's got a a big heart to play tomorrow. I think, as Chris said, wide pitch, a lot of space. I think that suits Louis down to the ground. Yeah, I, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you guys. I mean, listen, I've. I genuinely, I mean, it was it was funny. I mean, from my vantage point in the town end on Sunday, you know, Elbaz was getting, you know, a bit of flack from certain sections. And I was just kind of raising my eyebrow. And I made this point earlier on Twitter today where I posted a picture from the game. I mean, he literally had three defenders on him. But if you look beyond him and look who's running on, I think it was, it was either Harry McCurdy or it was Jack Payne. And all it takes is a little flick with the outside of his boot, as he's done on a few t- few occasions this season. He is going to create space just just with his own movement and his pace. So, I mean, he's been a real unsung hero for me in this run because he is um, he's a threat. I used the term "he's a killer" earlier because you you can't you know you cannot take the risk of not marking Louis Barry tightly. I mean, his pedigree alone. You know, should be sending shivers down the Port Vale spines going into tomorrow. Would you not agree? I would as well. And if I go back to the Warsaw game as well, I think there might have been three players around him, and that flick that put I think it was Tomlinson away, and it was where he crossed for Aguiar's second goal. I think it was, mm. but that flick was just sublime when he was he had nowhere to go. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, listen, I completely agree. Well, I mean, I, I've, I, like I said, I mean, I'll, I think I'll close tonight's proceedings by 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 saying this. Um, let's let's just just remember. I think you know, if you, you're making your way to the game tomorrow, anyone that's listening in, just take a long hard look at the two teams and take a long hard look at the two styles of play. Take a look at the size of that pitch. And yet, what will be will be. You never know. At the end of the day, it's 11 versus 11. However, all the odds are stacked in our favour. We're going there with a 2-1 win. We're not going there, you know, with scores level. So my only advice would be just like it was before the City game when we had, we had this show. And, you know, at that time, momentum in the and noise in the crowd, you know, there was still apathy around the county ground and we were still recovering from the summer. But just bring out your A game. You know, if you're if you are... If, you, if you're able to make a racket, make a noise, get behind the lads tomorrow, and it's our way support, and they've never they've never not shown up this season. But just make as much bloody noise as you can from the first minute to the last. And you know, even if things aren't going to plan during the ninety minutes, take a leaf out of Leeds United fans' books. And I don't normally sort of you know pass credit in their direction, but they were being gubbed on the box the other night and humiliated. But their fans were absolutely tremendous from start to finish because you know they know that there's nothing to be gained at this stage of the season by, you know, getting the booze out and giving their team a, you know, a shoot. They'll, they'll save all that for the end of the season. And I think we've got to take that attitude into tomorrow's game from the final whistle. But listen, um, what an absolute delight. Um, Joe, I'll just come back to you with my thanks, mate, for stepping in as co-host and um, and filling the gaps that, that Ty couldn't. And of course, you're going to be a regular fixture, mate, moving forward. Um, and to all the other contributors, um, Vic um, and Nick coming on for a fantastic hour and a half earlier in the show. It was an absolute delight. Um, I will tip my hat to our wonderful commercial partners who are providing superb support. Um, I will be liaising with Dan Designs on who we feel is uh, the winner um, of um, the two or winners of the two prints. Um, and it's been brilliant to have our headline partner who we announced um, earlier in the week in Verilogic, um, Kevin coming on and um, and sharing his wisdom. And um, I mean, really, as two commercial partners, I couldn't ask for better. Um, really get the fan base, um, really passionate people um, and, 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 and doing their absolute utmost to, to really help us turn this show into something moving forward we can all be proud of. So, um Please remember, guys, it's your show, yeah? Um, I'm, I genuinely am just the mouthpiece. I'm not a professional broadcaster. This show's nothing without you guys coming and offering your opinions. Um, you know, we're um, respectful of everyone's opinion. If you're not the most confident public speaker, um, just don't look at the... <laughs> Don't look at the listener list, but come on, we'll treat you well. We'll help you open your point up. Um, and and that's the way we want the show to um, to mushroom as we move forward. But listen, with, without further ado, mainly because poor old Nathan needs to get his head down because he's uh, he's on driving duties tomorrow and I don't want to keep him up any later than I need to. Um, it, it's been an absolute treat having you on. Um, Tom Broadbent Lounge is an independent Swindon Town fan Twitter space. Please be sure the views do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club or indeed Sir Tom Broadbent, uh, apart from when Tom comes on the show and shares his views, which he's quite inclined to do from time to time. Um, thanks ever so much for your time, guys. It's been a real treat. Up the town. See you up in uh, Stoke-on-Trent tomorrow. Drive safe and... <laughs>